You're listening to the Trekmate Family Network. Hello, I'm Vaughn Armstrong, Admiral Forrest, and many others from Enterprise and many others, and you are listening to Trekmate. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Trekmate podcast. Its continuing mission to entertain, enlighten, educate, and talk all things Trek. To boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Make it so. Prepare to attack all hands battle stations. Don't worry. We will get to the bottom of this. All I ask is a tall ship and a star to steer by. I don't want excuses. I want answers. Am I authorized to enter the neutral zone? How do you think that tells me about your character? Captain's log, stardate 3541.9. Program complete. Enter when ready. Hello and welcome to Trekmate. My name is Wayne Emery. And this week I am being joined by my special co-host, none other than Media 10's Jill Abdelgrove. Hello. How are you, Jill? I'm all right, thank you. I'm, I'm going to address the elephant in the room. We did actually <laughs> speak a couple of weeks ago. But my MP3 player screwed up. <laughs> and we revealed everything, didn't we? Everything was revealed. Every but, you single know. aspect of Star Trek's <laughs> uh, like future conventions and the yes. mishaps, but then suddenly CBS has come and whacked yeah. a cease and desist order. Yeah, I, I, my, my, I can't say anything now. No, oh, it's such a shame, isn't it? <laughs> I know. Unfortunately, that gold has uh, been kept to an audience of two. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed it. It was good fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was. Yeah. It was. <laughs> so, so obviously, uh, people haven't heard from you since Star Trek London. Yeah, I've been living in a cave. Um. <laughs> no, well, that's the thing. You're you're on to bigger, more I, realistic I things. I, 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 within Media 10, I have now got new projects. Um, you know, we never stop at Media 10, so, um, I've been working on several other projects. And, uh, yeah, it all moves on without me, which is all good fun. And I, I know that, uh, it, even though things have been teased at about a future Star Trek destination, uh, event, uh, your lips have been tightly sealed. Yes, sadly, um, the team have requested that I say nothing. <laughs> so screw uh, them, which is everyone. Yeah, so um, you know, as as it's there's still there's still things to be sorted out. There's still um, uh stuff to be agreed and decisions to be made so they're not really in a position at this moment as we're recording this for um, any exclusive announcements to be made uh, I did try, I did go to the top guy and I did ask um, but yeah other than 
letting you know that something is happening, which is probably you've already got that impression from some of the teases on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, there's really nothing more I can say. Um, well, it's and- just nice to know that uh, that after the success of last year, that it's not just everything's being left out in the cold. Yeah, it continues. There will be more. Um, they're definitely uh, planning. I think when we launched um, Star Trek London, we kind of uh, we we launched it with the idea that it would be a one-off. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't really talk about the future too much. Um, more out of just the, the unknown, we had no idea uh, whether there'd be a hunger for it. Um, the fans came out and pretty much screamed at us that there was. And uh, so, yeah, we, we, we did treat it for a very long while as a one-off event. Um, and then, you know, obviously when the event happened and the response it got and just the way that people embraced it uh yeah then you know the eyes turned to the future um i was unfortunately when when i started working on project i knew that i'd only be working on the one um mm-hmm. because i i had other projects uh penciled in for this year uh that i couldn't couldn't neglect anymore uh or else my boss would really kill me um so i've been sort of heavily focused on those this year and uh as I say, it's it's. I'm just glad that it's still there. It still exists, um, you know. And just hoping this is, you know, something that continues for a long time. Because I think we all we all realise that, you know, that there's so much life left in these sort of events. Well, that's the thing. After like being counted out, like from other organisers saying like. Star Trek's had it stay, you aren't going to get a big enough audience to having yeah. 18,000 people turn up. Exactly, and, you know, I, I'm not sort of telling porkies when, you know, we did have someone turn around to us and, and basically say, this will never work. You you know, the interest in Star Trek just isn't there because there wasn't a current TV show uh, and because we were between films. And I think, you know, when we... Yeah, I think it's fair to say when we, we started... Uh, organising uh, Destination Star Trek London, they hadn't even started filming no. uh, the new film. No, so, that wasn't uh, until like mid last year. Yeah, because I, I seem to remember a couple of weeks after we announced it that that's when they announced that obviously Benedict Cumberbatch had been cast, and you know suddenly I got very excited about that, which was really cool. Um, and uh, yeah, and it was like we we really it it seems incredible now in hindsight that we were ever unsure of how it was going to be received and I think that was you know that was the pleasant surprise was you know within minutes of doing the teaser campaign uh, which I know everybody loved <laughs> they just <laughs> we uh, you know we suddenly realized no there's people out there and they're they're, they're waiting for us and um, you know I'm, I'm just glad we were able to deliver you know we've got the five captains we've got um, some great guests and uh, hopefully some great memories as well. And you know that that it, as I say, it was kind of it seems incredible now looking at it from this side that uh, we were ever in any doubt that that would happen. Well, I know that you're not uh, lying about people doubting it because uh, before you announced it, I we was like inquiring about like setting up an event, and I had spoken to about three other organisers. And none of them were interested, and one even turned around and said, mate, there's no point, it's dead. 
and it's it's just like yeah, it, I, I it baffled me at the time that people would even think that, but then but to, to even think that there was just nothing in London for ten years, mm-hmm. um, you know that kind of realization. Um, you know, it, it, it's staggering, really, because you know there is there is just such a hunger for it, um, and you know that was one of the nicest aspects of certainly working on Destination Star Trek London was uh, before the event, just how much warmth there was out there. Um, you know, we hadn't put the event on yet, but people were just generally so so thankful and uh, weren't sort of shy and sort of coming forward and just saying, you know, regardless of anything the fact that you're doing this is you know is has made their year um and you know that really did come across and that was really you know something that really helped us because mm-hmm. uh it's as i say it's as a fan myself i was like why hasn't this been ha- why hasn't this happened before why hasn't someone else sort of taken this plunge and um then to be able to get as i say the five captains as well um and really make an event of it was uh, just something special Exactly, because at that point it was uh, London was going to be the first time the five captains had ever been together. Yeah, damn it. And then <laughs> the the Yanks decided to undercut. Uh, yeah, what was it, Pennsylvania or somewhere? Um, yeah, that that was unfortunate. Um, I mean, we can we can still claim that we had them for all three days at the same time, um, and that we. I mean, it's that in itself was was pretty amazing to get all five captains for all three days. Um, anyone that sort of follows the convention circuit will know that for certainly a couple of the captains, it's very unusual for them to do a full event. Uh, they'll do one day, they'll do a few hours, uh, but to do actually all three days uh, was pretty unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was there was a lot that went into making that happen. Um, and you know, and I, I think that was one aspect that really put Destination Starship London there. Um, you know, to sort of say this is our commitment, this is how serious we are about this. Um, and what was also great was um, after the event, we got a lot of favourable feedback from all the guests because mm-hmm. um, I think you know they they do they they do these events all the time as well. They go around the world. Um, they see many different types of events and um you know they they can never be a hundred percent sure all the time of what they're turning up to and of course with this event there was you know there was this trepidation they weren't sure it was the first of its kind um in this sort of degree it was back in london um but yeah by you know by the end of it there were some really lovely comments and i you know particularly i think on stage on sunday patrick stewart just made this declaration about the fans and all the people he'd met um, and it was just so lovely to hear he was just really singing everybody's praises of uh, who'd been to the event and had made it really special for him uh, being in London as well so um, you know when you hear that sort of stuff it really makes it all worthwhile it doesn't but I think that's what sometimes uh, the naysayers because uh, you're always going to get some people that uh, bash negativity oh, yeah, to, uh, to death our fair share of it but <laughs> What people struggle to remember is this was the first event of its kind in the UK. And, and I, I think there was lots to learn from it as well. We 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 tried to do something different as well. 
Um, You know, we weren't following uh, a blueprint as such. We were trying to bring something new and some of it worked, some of it didn't. We will hold our hands up and admit that. Um, But this was the first, you know, it was almost we were resigned to the fact even before the event that until it had happened, we would never know. Uh, We had to have the event happen to work out what worked and what didn't. Uh, And that's that's true of all the entertainment sort of uh, event industry. You know, you you just sometimes have to do it to see if it works. Um, You can do all the planning meetings in the world. You can try and think of every variable but until you've actually opened those doors and let the people in you just don't know how it's going to turn out and uh you know i I think it's you know it's definitely fair to say that we learned a lot that weekend (laughs) and um and and also the the other aspect was um you know it, it was a new ground for media 10 as well um and i think they really did appreciate what was going on um and you know, it's, they were brave enough to do that, and you know, I'll always sort of love the fact that they took it on because I don't think there's many companies of of, of their background that would have taken on something like Star Trek. They would have dismissed it out of hand because they'd see it as one of those other events that their sort of companies don't do. If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, that's um, the thing. Going from Idle Home Show. Yeah. To. Um, uh, DSGL is a big step. It was, and you know they took a big leap of faith with it. Um, and even up until doors open, I don't really think they knew what to expect. Um, we could, you know, we uh, and I say it in the royal we, if you like, um, of Star Trek fans, could tell them so much and tell them what to expect. But they really had to dive in at the deep end, and they took that risk. And you know that's. You know, always full credit to them for doing that because it would have been so much easier for them to say, you know what, we'll leave that to that type of um, area. We won't sort of try and bring it up. And uh, you know, that's that's where it was like an interesting event to work on from my point of view because <laughs> uh, you know it was it was bringing a bit of my personal life into my working life, and it was it all it all got very confusing at some points where I'd be like okay I'm at work I'm being paid to watch Star Trek this is awesome <laughs> <laughs> you know it's kind of a you know suddenly all those years of watching every single Star Trek episode was paying off for me which was lovely <laughs> that's, that's the thing you had been waiting for this moment yeah yeah, it was like, you know, I didn't waste all those hours. I, I you know, it, my brain cut holding all this information about, um, you know, alien species and faraway planets. It wasn't all for nothing. I, I suddenly had a purpose. It was great. <laughs> so, for you, what was because I know you was running about like a headless chicken, so you didn't really have enough time to like. Soak up, uh, soak up everything that was going on. <laughs> but um, what was some of your personal highlights? Um, certainly, I, I, I think my highlight was the alternate opening ceremony um, because that really was my baby, if you like. It was uh, I, I kind of knew that we would have limited space. Um, for both really but certainly for the captain's talk and I knew you know it would it would be like 
we needed something else. So I, I'd come up with this idea of doing an alternate opening ceremony, which would be free, and uh, and we try and get a couple of people there. Um, and up until five minutes before, or even up until they went on stage, uh, all we really knew and all I was able to really get confirmed was that Connor Trenere and Dominic Keaton would, would host it. Uh, and everything else was really, we'll see what happens. Um, obviously, I'd spoken to the people involved and told them about the alternate ceremony and kind of said it'd be really great if once they come off stage over there, if they can come over here uh, and just say hello, come on stage, say a few words. Um, but obviously, they, were, they weren't kind of obligated to do the, that ceremony. So, um, I mean, what actually happened, we, we got there and the, the two guys turned up and it was great. I gave them a bit of prep talk, told them, right, get on stage, entertain. And they did brilliantly. Um, but then suddenly every single guest bar the captains turned up. <laughs> and it was, I was just stood there in shock <laughs> that, you know, we'd managed to get everybody to come over. Um, you know, and it, it, it was great just we were literally like a production line behind the scenes just pushing people onto stage and sort of just saying just say hello you know it was it was mad confusion it was completely disorganized it was fantastic in that sense yeah. of uh, organized chaos if you like um and i think you know the lucky ones that managed to get into that uh, talk area hopefully got to see something pretty unique and spontaneous i think the word probably would be yeah it- uh, it it really was chaos because I didn't get to see it in person, but uh, one of our guys did record it, and it's on our uh, YouTube <laughs> channel. And it uh, it, it's, it, it was a, a fun a fun ride, I reckon. Yeah, and, I, and I'm sure if we'd have been able to get something more concrete, if we'd have been able to say, right, definitely these guys are going to turn up, and we could have made it a bit more organised, you know. Um, but at the same time, I think because of I think it was a little what... bit panic, it just made it that little bit more special because no one knew what was going on and we were just trying to to get something out of there. We all knew that, you know, they'd said hello to the fans over there and now it's time to speak to some more fans. And, you know, I just, I just, I just, behind the scenes, it was just crazy, crazy, but lovely and that that is that is one of the memories that stand out for me i think um, that was half of the charm the chaos yeah yeah i'm sure there's there's a few that probably didn't appreciate it and just thought it could have been done a heck of a lot better and i would be the first to agree but um you know it was opening day we were i had no idea who was going to turn up and the fact that everybody by the captains turned up was just amazing for me because it was this silly little throwaway idea that I'd had in one of the meetings saying well why don't we do an alternate opening ceremony um, and it turned into that and it, you know, it's, it was gold in some regards So, mm-hmm. um, and then after the chaos of that I kind of wandered over um, and sneaked into the back of the captain's talk which was completely contrasted <laughs> it's fair to say uh, caught the end of that um, and that, that just kind of probably created a really surreal hour for me um, to go from this complete chaos of uh, of of the stage B and to go then to the captain's talk and see John Barrowman just being a complete absolute legend of a presenter, um, you know, it's and talking to 
you know, the five captains and witnessing something that, you know, hadn't really been seen before. So. Um, and to be honest, I think John Barrowman was a, a perfect choice because he seemed just as excited as everybody else. Oh, for sure, he really was. He 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 was a, a real star on that, and um, I think it's it's people probably didn't fail to notice that we didn't publicise him all that much, and that was actually his request. Um, he didn't want us to make it all about him. He he wanted it. He didn't want to be announced. We were going to put him on one of the emails just before the show to sort of say, "Oh, just announced," um, but he actually uh, got word back to us saying, "Actually." You know, I don't want people to know that I'm doing this, not in a bad way, but just in a way that he he wanted it, the focus to always remain on the five captains and he didn't want to distract from that. Um, and that is because he's a fan. Yeah. You know, he's a and fan himself. I think, it, to be honest, it, it took a lot of people by surprise that he was there. Mm. Because it, they just it wasn't expecting it. But yeah, because I think we only really put it in the programme. So unless you'd seen the programme before that, uh, you'd have had no idea he was there because we, we just did not announce it. <laughs> and that actually worked in our favour, I think, because it kind of really uh, made it just that little bit, took it up a notch uh, in the sort of, um, in the package of the whole thing, really. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Mm. Definitely. So, but uh, I think all in all, uh, just, uh, as you said, uh, despite any learning curves uh, that were had, I don't think you can class it as anything but a success. I mean, you you got the world record for most people in uniform. Oh yes, that that was fun. <laughs> um, yeah, that that was another one of our successes. Um, and I I think really on on the on the scale of what we did and our ambition, uh, we delivered on. On, you know, we didn't really fail on anything that we said that we were going to do. Uh, we got the, uh, I think, was it just over 40 guests? Mm-hmm. Uh, we obviously got the five captains because um, there was, you know, we, we did keep an eye on what the talk was uh, amongst fans before the event. Um, you know, we not really in a, in a way that we'd want to respond to it, but just to be aware of what the rumblings were. And I think every week leading up to the event, there was someone saying, I don't believe they're going to get that all five captains are there. Um, some were saying quite confidently that Scott Bakula was working something else and that he wouldn't be able to make it. So, you know, the fact that, you know, we we, we were able to do that and we got them there. Um, and there was really never any question that we wouldn't have them there, which was quite nice as well. Um, and then to add to that, we, you know, the 35 other guests that we had, um, just really kind of, you know, we, we, we knew that we had to make a statement um, mm-hmm. because there's so many other established uh, Trek events around the world. Uh, you know, we knew we had to stand out and getting the world record was one way of us stamping our, our uh, arrival on the scene. Um, and then, as I say... Uh, the guests we got as well and the quality of guests we got uh, was another way of us doing that um, and really going forward all, what we need to do now is just keep building on that and listening to the feedback and improving on the areas where you know we can see improvements can be made exactly it's like, 
one thing that I would say is like out of everything I enjoyed the whole event the one thing that I personally missed was a vendor's room yeah yeah there was it that that was an odd one that one um because uh certainly the people on the team who were say the fans uh the people that had been to conventions we were we were missing that as well and we knew we were missing that um but um, you know there were certain things we had to abide by um we had the official license and there were certain criteria that were set down so a lot of uh things that you would expect to see were kind of taken out of our hands a little bit um i can't say because i'm sadly not on the team uh whether that that is going to change in the future i've got absolutely no idea but um yeah i i think we did need the vendor's room as a fan as a fan i would have loved to have seen one <laughs> um because i know that when i go to conventions the one place i spend my most of my time uh is looking at the t-shirts and the toys and the magazines and the photos um so yeah i i as a fan i would easily say yeah that's something that if we can get that into our events it would be amazing um and it would be it'll be a step in the right direction but uh that's just a good question actually i'm gonna i'm gonna actually ask that question when i next see the p team what's <laughs> happening about vendors because uh yeah we, we we should have them but on for destination star trek london our hands were tied that's all i'm gonna say yeah. um it wasn't a, a a decision that we really ever had a say in yeah. i'm hoping i'm being diplomatic there <laughs> <laughs> Yes, no, don't no worry. No one will ever... No, no, they won't listen to this. It'll be fine. <laughs> It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It's not as if you called them di- dictators or... <laughs> no, I didn't call them that at all. But no, <laughs> it's... Uh, read into that what you want. But, you know, as I said, there were certain elements of the show we actually didn't have that much control over for yeah. various reasons. <laughs> Which is, that's the thing, but as you said, it's the first event. It's the first event, and again, as I said, you know, we knew to some degree that you can't know everything until you've actually run it. Exactly. Uh, we've run that first show now, uh, we got a feel for it, we saw what worked, what didn't work, and that's really all we can say, it, you know, for, we, we'll have no excuse next time, basically. Yeah. Not to and put any pressure on the team that I'm not obviously working with now. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> Just get it right. <laughs> That's it. We're but, watching. <laughs> <laughs> but as I say, it's it's you know for what 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 we did on that first event, I think you know we can't take it for granted. No. Um, it's very unusual. I mean, I've I've been going to conventions for you know nearly twenty odd years now. Um, actually, maybe I'm exaggerating there, maybe it's 15. Um, but certainly, I know that there's a history of the big companies, shall we say, coming into this arena and failing pretty drastically. Um, so the fact that the event was as successful as it was, that alone, uh, that that's what I take from it. I, I just, we know it happened, we opened the doors, we gave the guests that we promised, um, and yeah, hopefully exactly. it's it's there's a huge future for it. And as well as uh, as much uh, 
of that is attested to Media 10 Showmasters. Big uh, time Showmasters. Uh, they were amazing. Yep, um, the crew were amazing. Uh, I'm going to do a big up for the crew. Um, they were the face of the event, and I know they took a lot of stick for various things because that's just the nature of <laughs> these sort of events. You know, the 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 ones in the uh, blue and red shirts are going to be the ones that will be in the first first line of defence, if you like. Uh, they all worked their socks off. They were brilliant. Um, and, you know, we really couldn't have done it without them. So I'm going to do a big up for them. And uh, as I say, yeah, Showmasters, um, big, big friends of mine. Um, love them to pieces. <laughs> so, and they've actually got some uh, great events coming up in the summer have. as well. They have got the next one will be uh, Collectomania Milton Keynes, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, takes place at the MK Don Stadium. Um, certainly, I would keep an eye on this event, um, certainly for, for May, but also they're running another one uh, towards the end of the year when the stadium finally is complete. Because uh, I know there's always been a little bit of um, resistance to the uh, open air format, <laughs> shall we say? Um, but certainly towards the, the, the when I went, was it, it was the last May was the last one, uh, and you could already see the improvements there. Uh, a lot more of it is becoming enclosed uh, where the event is being held, um, and certainly uh, we should see a bit more of that. We've got parties now in the evening, which is just they, it was such a great atmosphere last year uh, for the evening parties um, and then I think sort of in the October or November show I can't I don't think they've named the dates yet because it all depends on the football season uh, so once fixtures are released they'll know what dates it is um, they they're basically going to be finally into the main convention hall uh, that they've been building at that stadium for what seems like years so it's going to be a fantastic event and they've got, uh, that's the thing, it's not only uh, Trek guests, they've got loads of people. They've got Gillian uh, yep. Anderson, uh, the Doctor Who's new uh, companion. Louise, Jenna Louise Coleman? That's yes. the one. That's it. That's so that's, that's her first uh, convention appearance as the Doctor's assistant. Yeah. So uh, definitely a must for all Doctor Who fans. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Loads of franchises are represented well. Uh, like uh, Doctor Who, Stargate, um, uh, uh, all, uh, like Star Wars. Yeah, there's always a strong Star Wars presence. and um, even, even the boys from The Dwarf are going to be there. Yes, yes, that's going to be good. And they're just, uh, obviously got London Film and Comic Con in July as well, uh, which has got a, a load of DS9 people, I remember. Uh, yes. I think Avery Brooks is going to be there, uh, Armin uh, Shimmerman. Max Kredencic, yep. uh, also, uh, Nicole DeBoer, um, Salome Jens, Barry Jenner. So, so was it? That's July, isn't it, in London? Yes. Um, so and I'm definitely going to be there. Yeah, that's <laughs> going to be a very track-heavy yeah. uh, con. But also, they're not only doing uh, London film and comic cons now; they've moved it to uh, Cardiff and Glasgow. Yeah, the Cardiff one will be. Uh, it's it's the, the launch show, the Cardiff one this year. 
and um, they're introducing new elements to it in the fact that they've got Kai Owen from Torchwood is going to be doing a tour for City, a Torchwood tour, uh, as an additional extra. So um, that's what I like about Showmasters, is that they're always evolving, they're always trying to bring new things. Um, last year they bought the uh, throne from Games of Thrones, uh, and you know you could have your photo taken on it for a small fee, uh, and that, and I think you know when they first suggested it, I thought yeah, that'd be a fun little extra. But obviously, what happens is people then make that their profile picture on Facebook, and then people are saying, "How did you get to have your picture taken on that? It's great." Um, and so you know they're sort of rolling it out again this year, but they're also bringing some other props to a lot of their shows this year. I think there's an ET display there's a terminator display and you'll be able to have your photos taken some pretty unique photos um and obviously with the ability to share them instantly with all your friends uh it's just another neat idea to have at these sort of events you know to have this interaction where you can uh, sort of have your photo taken on very you know with very famous props yeah. Who'd have known it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I sat, I've never even seen, I, I admit I've never even seen Game of Thrones, but I've sat on that bloody throne, I tell you. It looks awesome. It's an impressive chair. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a photo you have to have. If you're if you're a geek, you need to have that photo. <laughs> I tell you what, it could have solved so many issues in uh, space battles in Star Trek if that was your captain's chair. Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> Then Romulans would have just tucked tail and run away. Exactly, yeah. God, that would look amazing on the bridge. <laughs> Someone needs to superimpose that behind the car. Yes, yes. I want to see that now. <laughs> oh, dear. So, yeah, no, uh, if, if you're interested in any of the events, just head on over to uh, collectomania.com. And that's the thing, even if you just want to, uh, turn up and have a mooch about without like and take in the atmosphere. The guys charge hardly anything for entrance fee. Yeah. So. And also, if you are a massive Stargate fan and you don't already know, Chevron is a hotel convention they run. Uh, I believe it's going to happen at the end of May, but they've got some amazing Stargate guests there. Um, I personally am a Stargate fan, and I think everybody should go to Chevron because it's just great atmosphere. <laughs> I, I know there are a few uh, Stargate fans in. Uh, yeah, definitely check it. I think David Hewlett's going to be there, um, and the, the, I think some of the producers as well, some of the writers, um, and I'm desperately trying to remember. <laughs> Um, but yeah, definitely they've got a fantastic lineup. There's about eight, eight or so guests there, and for a hotel convention, that's they, you know that that's really uh, past the maximum what they normally have. So it's going to be a great atmosphere. So if you fancy something a bit different, head on over. And obviously, I feel like I'm doing an advert now. I'm not. I don't mean to. Sorry. <laughs> no. Yeah, but no. But I always do. But I was always. Uh, I, I still am a huge uh, Buffy and Angel fan, and they oh, cater yes. to that with Halloween. Halloween is going to be amazing this year as well, because um, they've uh, they've got oh Wesley. Yeah, they've got Wesley and Fred. Fred's going to be there, um, and I, I think that as well has got a couple of the producers turning up. 
who are very much involved in Once More with Feelings, so that would be quite cool. Oh, that would be We cool. always do the sing-along. It's always good fun. <laughs> it, it's amazing. I it, had this conversation with somebody the other day uh, who just got on the bus who works at Harry Potter, and Harry- um, we started discussing Buffy and then Once More with Feeling, and then just ended up singing songs <laughs> on the way back to Watford Junction. Uh, at the last at the last Halloween, and there was there was definitely the CD the DVD came on, and they watched the episode in the main hall, and everyone was singing along. <laughs> it's just it's just a given there. You have to, um, and of course this year they've got uh, one of the guys that starred in that episode plus um, the producer that actually did a cameo uh, in that episode as well. So um, you'll you'll work out by now that I'm really rubbish with names um, but they're there I know who they are Thingy from <laughs> Thingy and Bobby from what's its name uh, they're there and it's going to be amazing um, uh, so yeah definitely check out their uh, it's Massive Events uh, which is part of Showmasters so uh, check out their their offerings as well yeah brilliant uh, and uh, I'm well I know that I'm going to be at a number of the events, so I'm looking forward to it this year. Yeah, I'm forcing you to go, aren't I? Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> to be honest, I don't think it took much arm-bending. Yeah, I seem to have took about four words. Do you want to go? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, that is definitely something to look forward to. So now we've had a bit of a catch-up, uh, it's time for this. Now it's time for Star Trek News, brought to you by TrekMateFamily.com. TrekMateFamily.com, bringing you the latest Trek news as and when it happens. Yes, and it's that time again. It's time for this week's news. And since it's been uh, a couple of weeks, there's a a few bits to uh, catch up on. Uh, and seeing as you're with us, Jill, I thought this was a very uh, fitting first uh, piece of news, uh, which was that uh, the guys who at Star Trek London had the uh, teleporter that you could download the uh, Star Trek uh, app for to make it look like you and your mates were beaming up. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Yes, uh, realised been- digital. Mm. Yeah, they've actually been nominated for a Webby Award. Which is amazing. Yes, it's absolutely fantastic. Yes, news. definitely. We're, we're, we're very chuffed that they've been um, nominated because, again, that was one of those meetings that I went to where they were just telling us the idea and then months later it became a reality and you know we saw it at the exclusively... I should say at the event, uh, and now look at it. It's uh, you know it's it's doing wonders uh, with getting a webby. Yeah, definitely. And that's the thing. It, at the event, it was viewed over six thousand times, and the app was downloaded four thousand times to different devices, mm. which is it's- a huge number. Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely uh, beat their expectations, which was you know great for us as well because we was able to give them that platform. Um, and you know, as I say, it's it's from my side of things. Yeah, you know, I really did see it from uh, you know when it was just this little idea that they were 
formulating. Um, so to see it really do that at the event and now hear that announcement this week was amazing. Loving it. Yes, definitely. So if you uh, want to help them out, uh, because it is uh, being decided by a public vote, then uh, to cast your vote, if you just head on over to our site, trekmatefamily.com, uh, click on the news section and the news article. I'll also put the link in the uh, show notes. Uh, you can uh, click on ahead to uh, vote for Realized Digital Star Trek app to uh, win uh, the Webby Award that they've been nominated for. So uh, by all means, take the two seconds that it takes to just uh, click a few buttons. Uh, also, this past week saw the latest and final Into Darkness trailer. Woo-hoo. You think you can't make mistakes? But the choices you make could get yourself and everyone under your command killed. But I believe in you, Jim. could just be the beginning getting a what all-out war i request permission to go after him i cannot allow you to do this jim you're not actually going after this guy are you let's go get this son of a bitch you are a poem cock sir there's a ship heading right for us can't even guarantee the safety of your own crew. Now, shall we begin? I'm sorry. We're outnumbered. Outgunned. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. I only know what I can do. The ship's dead, sir. She's gone. No, she's not. No ship should go down without her, Captain. I believe in you, Jim. What were your thoughts, Jill? Oh, man. Loved it. Um, you know, the, the previous trailers had me, but this one was like, okay, this is going to be amazing. Um, a big fan of uh, Mr. Cumberbatch, so I was loving seeing the little extras that they've put in uh, to show his character but yeah I was literally just I think my Facebook wall just exploded with similar like minded fans all going a bit crazy uh, for what they were seeing and and I I just I just love that there's just so much you know the feedback from it is 
just sounded amazing. But the thing is, it's like there are so many things going on in the trailer. There's so much being shown, but you know that at the moment JJ is only tickling the balls. He yeah. Hasn't... Yeah. There's going to be so much more, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, it's 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 like what we've been seeing so far. Uh, certainly of uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's character has, has just been very minimal. You've hardly even heard him speak. Um, so obviously in this trailer where you just hear him just saying a little bit more, like the whole speech about a, a good captain goes down with their ship, and it's just like, this. Yeah, you know, it's just epic. I think <laughs> the word probably is epic. Um, and the the whole, I, I lo- you know, sort of the bit where... Um, you know, they, they know the Enterprise, I think it's, it's already gone into the water and, you know, there's, they still haven't given up. I mean, that is Star Trek through and through. <laughs> you know, if ever you want to see a classic Star Trek thing, that is it. And uh, what uh, my question was when I first saw it was, what the hell is that ship? Yeah, yeah. It's like the other ship, it almost looks like a sovereign class. Yeah, it's 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 definitely not what we were expecting. I think it's kind of as you see more of it, you you certainly get to see, um, you know, that this something's not right there. <laughs> it's not what we uh, we would be expecting. But then from that, you could you could justify any sort of crazy stuff going on. Down to obviously where the uh, where the timeline has been changed. You yeah. don't know what information was uh, brought across with the Narada, so th- there could be technical schematics that have every single ship up to when Spock came back. Yeah. That's so, true. Let alone if they had learnt had to harness. Really thought of that, yeah. Yeah. Let alone That'd if be... they learnt to harness the uh, Borg technology that had like uh, changed the Narada from because it, it was. Did you read any of the uh, Countdown series of comics for no. the O nine movie? Uh, oh, hang on. No, I did read one of them. Yeah. Um, but- because the whole basic premise for like uh, the Narada being like that just crazy huge ship that it was was that um, the, the Romulans had actually harnessed Borg technology and uh, like just turned that mining ship into a beast. Ah. So that's why it was just so huge and weird and so. That was a beast of a ship. I liked that. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was, and uh, so it'll be interesting to see what they do with uh, Harrison's ship. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the whole. I mean, that that as I say with this trailer, there's just so much more in it. Even though, as you say, there's probably going to be a heck of a lot more that we haven't been teased with. But what I've seen so far, I just can't wait till that film opens. <laughs> I really just want to see it. It's going to be amazing, I think. And we don't have long to go. We, we don't. don't. It's it's creeping up on us, isn't it? Because I think the premiere is in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I think that's um, the 2nd of May. 
2nd of May. And, uh, yeah, so not long at all. The 9th is our release date, so you're only looking at one, two, three weeks. I really should book the tickets. <laughs> I know, I haven't done mine yet. No, I haven't, yeah. I've, I've heard people have, and it's like, I really need to make sure I'm watching this, so... Um, and then you've got the decision of where do you see it yeah. what is your preference of choice <laughs> but, uh, apparently it's near on impossible to watch it in 2D oh. well that's good I've, I finally have succumbed to 3D um, mm-hmm. it took me a while I've, I resisted for a long long while um, and then I think um, what is it I think it's the Avengers I finally said, okay, I'm going to watch a movie in 3D and absolutely loved it. Uh, because I wear glasses anyway, I've always been resistant to wearing another pair of glasses while I'm in the cinema. Mm-hmm. Uh, but actually, it wasn't too bad and I should just put up and shut up, really. <laughs> the only film that I've seen in 3D in cinemas was Avatar. And that uh, works fantastically. I, I, I watched that in 2D. Um, and I, yeah, I did see that in cinema, finally. I... I, I I came to that one very late because I, I have this natural reaction that as soon as everyone's screaming and ran, raving about a movie, I instantly say, right, I'm not watching it. <laughs> um, I don't know what it's. As soon as it's appreciated is. by the masses. Yeah, when the you know when the uh, normals um, go crazy about something that's sci-fi-ish, uh, I kind of lose interest rapidly. Um, but no, I did finally succumb and go and watch that, and it was alright. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Yes, it was. It was. I, I, I think I was expecting something a bit more because it had been built up so much. Uh, um, my expectations probably went a bit through the roof. Um, but it, you know, it's a good, solid story, and and I understand number two's coming out. Is it next year? Of yeah, of course. Probably. It's number two. <laughs> After making like twenty billion or whatever, it, yeah, it, yeah, it was only a question of when rather than if. Yeah, I think that's true. But no, it's uh, it's 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 not a, a movie that I would personally go crazy over, but I certainly enjoyed it when I saw it. Yeah, no, that's the thing. It, it, I'll admit, I haven't actually rewatched it since the cinema. <laughs> yeah, but I don't. I did copy. enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. I think you know you can always appreciate something that's been well made, and I did like the transition actually between um, the two worlds. I thought that was really well done. Yeah. But it's not it's not something that uh, I thought was. Uh, you know, I was hearing these reports about how people were getting depressed when they're coming out of the cinema because they wanted to be in that fake world. <laughs> I didn't get any of that. <laughs> it just looked like hell to me. <laughs> I'm a hard person. <laughs> You're like, there's no internet access. <laughs> yeah, it's outside all the time. He's like, Where, where's my dark room? <laughs> where's my DVD player? <laughs> yeah, oh, no, it, it's, it's not for the uh, closet fandom uh, no, no. generation. But I have to say, it has produced some amazing cosplay. I've seen some amazing costumes. Um, of people uh, taking inspiration from Avatar um, saying that I've also seen some other at the other end of the scale but the good ones have been really good 
I think uh, you get that with everything, though. You, yeah. you get the uh, absolutely awful ones, and then the people that have clearly spent far too many hours. Ah, oh, there's nothing better than seeing a really well done cosplay. I really do appreciate it. It's like oh best. no, it's so inspiring. But then yeah. you're like, you must have dedicated. <laughs> yeah, I I I appreciate it because I know I haven't got that dedication. Um, no, that's the thing. It, for me personally, if I can pay someone to put that <laughs> dedication into it, I'm yeah. all up for it. Because <laughs> ironically, and this is one of those little facts for the fact finders, uh, I was the only member of Media 10 that didn't wear a uniform at the STL. Oh. I believe I, the, I'm the, the geek so to speak, of the company, but I was the only one, even the directors, the, the this, I guess he's the CEO, the actual managing director, even he was in a uniform. I was the only one who resisted. <laughs> and, and what was the uniform of choice? Uh, they seemed to go for the TNG version. They really, yeah. they really did enjoy that. Yeah, at one point, one of the directors had forgotten to put the little um, tunic part underneath it and it really did look a bit camp I so hope he doesn't listen to this um, <laughs> so after we mocked him mercifully for looking a bit odd uh, he found a little tunic piece to put underneath it and he, it looked okay but um, yeah I mean you, you go around Media 10 at the moment and you go to anyone's desk and they've all got pictures of themselves on the bridge um, in their uniforms <laughs> as I say I'm the only one I, although I can kind of like for one of the days I can sort of say I was black ops because uh, I did just look like I'm complete. I'm just all blacked out and uh, you know I, I'll claim that was my uniform <laughs> but I don't remember seeing a hoodie section 31 yeah I, I don't remember seeing a hoodie on Star Trek but I'll pretend um, but yeah, that's one of those ironic facts uh, that all the directors of Media 10 managed to get themselves dressed up. And no scans. Um, no, actually, no, no, there wasn't. No. <laughs> but one of, I think one of the PR girls did. <laughs> nah. It was, uh, it was, it was fun. Excellent. But I do like that little fact. <laughs> Now, one more piece of news about uh, In Starkness was uh, in a interview with MTV, Chris Pine and Zachary Quinso had a nice couple of quotes uh, that, that they gave us uh, regarding uh, the keeping plot details a secret. Uh, Quinto said, The good news is we're about two weeks away from being able to actually talk about it, which, <laughs> which Pine added... It will be nice not to have to lie anymore. <laughs> now, I, I tell him <laughs> that is pretty telling. But I'm just wondering if he's still having to lie. I'm I'm positive in my head that John Harrison is a lie. Yeah, absolute lie. And I'm sure there'll be masses of people that will just be a I told you so once they come out the screen. Um, I mean, it's, 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 they've really, I think the amount of effort they've put in to denying it, mm -hmm. uh, has been extraordinary. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we might have egg on our face in three weeks' time when they might, actually, that might have been another double bluff. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I, I think that there's definitely a trend at the moment to completely throw fandoms. 
Um, and they do, they're trying a lot of tricks at the moment, and certainly Star Trek has been part of that with, with this whole, is he, isn't he? Yeah, but JJ is the master of the mindfuck. Yep, he, he's definitely up there. Um, I would put Moffat there as well, personally, yeah. uh, with my fandom, my other fandoms. Um, certainly, it, it's, it's becoming almost like the norm. Um, that you have to sideswipe and and as I say, you know, when you've got the two main cast members going, it would be nice not to lie anymore. Yeah, <laughs> well, don't do it then. Just yeah. tell us what's going on. I... <laughs> but I kind of like it as well. I must admit, I, I do. You know, I'm I'm not really someone who hunts down spoilers or wants to know every last detail before I've seen it. Um, but at the same time. The second you know, guessing is half the fun. It is. Um, you really, I mean, my my reference point at the moment is is Sherlock. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I know you, you've not seen a single episode, which amazes me and stuns me and makes me think, what the hell? And disgusts um, you at the same time. <laughs> but seriously, since last January when they aired that episode of someone falling who is, you know, it's related to Star Trek. (laughs) A certain person falling off a building. Um, You know, me and my mates are still discussing that scene. Um, You know, we're still discussing elements of it. And it's gone into overdrive this week because we were privileged enough to watch some filming on Sunday, which should have answered a lot of the questions, but it's just added more questions <laughs> so as I say there seems to be this real first or lust at the moment by those that have the right in power to really mess with the fans heads um, and certainly as Abrams is up there and Moffat is up there um, they're just evil evil people and I love it yeah. and I admire them tenfold for it because you know if, if I could get someone talking about stuff that I write, um, you know, and evaluating it and taking every last detail. Uh, I mean, I loved I, I, I loved what they did with um, one of the trailers for Star Trek Into Darkness, where they had those hidden, uh, the hidden codes, yeah, uh, the short URLs. I mean, that was just genius because, you know, the nature of the fandom would, they knew they'd watch every single frame to find a clue. It, it from a marketing point of view, that's that's just that's just knowing your market, that's knowing your audience, and that's so it's so nice to see um, that that you know they they fought to do that. Um, it's also very evil, and I love it. <laughs> you know, because I think that day when obviously someone discovered it, and then it went viral, and um, you know everyone was talking about it. I mean, that's that's just great, great way to get the word out there. Definitely. Um, so yeah, I I love all that sort of side of it, but at the same time, it's infuriating. And, <laughs> and on one quick uh, note before I move on to the next piece, uh, if Harrison is a front, who would you edge your bets on Cumberbatch being? Um, I don't know if I want to be obvious, but I I I, th- I can only think calm. That's the thing. I, I personally, it, it goes back to the first trailer that they put out there, and 
after the uh, funeral scene, you mm. see what looks like loads of coffins, but it's like, no, they're cryogenic stasis mm. chambers. Yeah, it's it. I I I'm just sticking to that because I've just uh, that's the thing. I know people were like, don't be don't be thick. It's not Khan, but I still have this gut feeling that yeah. it's Khan. I I think it's stronger in a way because of the amount of denial that there's been about it. Mm-hmm. They haven't just let it go. They haven't. They have really. They've gone out of their way um, to just say yes, it's not him. <laughs> you know, it's it is it's the level of denial that's making me think more and more, um, as well as the obviously what we see on screen. Um, it it just feels like they're protesting too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly when it was first being bounded around. Um, you know, it, it really, and then I don't know. The John Housen just just seemed like a bit of an afterthought. Um, it yeah, could well, have been part of the master plan. I don't know, but it, it it's, it's just this whole the amount of effort they've taken to deny it. It's just making me think. Well, why are you taking making having that much effort? As I say, in three weeks' time, we might all be made to look like idiots. But <laughs> exactly. But honestly, how could you make an evil character? Called John Harrison. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's not up there with like Darth Vader, is it? <laughs> no, no, not quite. <laughs> yeah, remember those really big villains, <laughs> John Harrison. We have just insulted all the John Harrisons in the world now. No, but the thing is, I'm sure John Harrison is a lovely, a lovely guy. person. Yes. He just wouldn't destroy the Enterprise and threaten the world. <laughs> And then you've got to ask the question, if he isn't Khan, and Khan is obviously one of the big bads, uh, legendary, really, uh, well, who who are they going to get who's going to be bigger and nastier and, you know, blow your mind more than what we've seen in the trailers so far of what little lovely little John Harrison has done? We're painting him out to be a saint now. That lovely little... Yeah, I remember when he was a little boy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if he can cause that much destruction, oh my God, when Khan does finally turn up, he's going to be mad. <laughs> That's the thing. It, if uh, John Harrison can cause that, then we might as well give up now. Yeah, yeah, because we know Khan's still to come, and he's he's just... If we think that's bad, my lordy... You know, the, there's just going to be nothing left. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> though, even though uh, the Americans have been quite bitter at us for guessing the, uh, uh, the In Darkness a week earlier than they Woo-hoo. are, they do have one up on us because uh, coming up, uh, they do have the best of both worlds coming to cinemas on uh, Thursday, April 25th. Wow. Yeah. Best of Both Worlds being on the big screen, that will be an that's, amazing event. Oh, that will be epic. It will. And I I am very... That is one thing I am very jealous about. Yeah. Um, I love that episode so much. Well, the two episodes, actually. Yeah. To see um, it in a remastered form. On the big screen. On the big screen. <laughs> that would be amazing. 
It really will. And obviously that then means that they're releasing Season 3 on Blu-ray as well. Of course, yes. Yes, which... But they... And for anybody who can't wait for Season 4 to be released, they're cleverly releasing Best of Both Worlds on its own. Ah. Uh, <laughs> I remember them doing that with VHS, actually. <laughs> Yeah, they're quite canny at uh, making yeah. us put our hands in our pocket. I seem to remember there was this, uh, all the uh, double episodes was released singly on a VHS because I fell for it and I owned them all, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's the same. You and me both. Love that VHS format. I knew it would last. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. It's, it's weird. I loved nothing more then my entire bedroom, one wall, was <laughs> the entire Star Trek collection. Yeah. You could fit nothing else I but remember VHSs. that with my, Oh, yeah, and it just looked really cool. It did, especially Deep Space Nine with the continuing pictures. Of course, yes. And the re-release of uh, the original series with dialogue going across all of them. <laughs> See, you had so much more to play with. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, those spines were nice and fat, and you could do whatever you wanted with them. Just don't get it with DVD. <laughs> well, no, I'm looking at this, and I, I do see they did make the attempt with Red Dwarf. There's, the Red Dwarfs are quite nice on DVD. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, Red... I, I, I've, I still need to get season six and seven. Oh, uh, yeah, because... Um, yeah, because you, you must just have Red <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. See, I've got the doof. So I've I've got the full Red Wolf. <laughs> Anyone who hasn't got the Red Wolf DVDs are going to be wondering what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> and did, did you? Uh, it, I, I'm assuming, uh, like just stab in the dark, that you've uh, got uh, season ten. I have. Yes. What did you think of season ten? I uh, it's just lovely to see it come back again it was, in a in a format that I recognised and it loved. Was absolutely brilliant to see yeah. it back on form after the abortion that was uh, back <laughs> to earth. Yeah, and just to see that it can still that there's still legs in it and it can still work and they they just focus on what made the originals so good. Um, it, it, it was just lovely to see because, you know, I, I will admit, you know, very sceptical when they said that they were bringing it back again. Um, feared the worst, thinking, oh, you know, you get a bit ageist about uh, the characters and stuff. But then, you know, they pulled it out of the bag and it just goes to show if you get the script right and you get the tone right and you get the setting right and you focus on the right things... It happens. It's magic again. Yeah. yeah. So it's good to see that. Well, yeah, definitely. Definitely. So uh, that's. Uh, there's been plenty of other stuff going on uh, news-wise, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we don't have time to discuss everything that's been going on since I last done the news. Uh, but if you want to keep uh, track of the news, remember we do have our own dedicated news editor who's putting up fantastic articles every single day of the week. So head on over to uh, trekmatefamily.com for all of the latest goings on as and when it happens. So next is a new section that uh, I've uh, 
like started up. Uh, I will not take the uh, credit for the idea, as it was uh, pitched to me by uh, the host of the holodeck, Michael Clark. Uh, this is a new section where we are going to highlight uh, fan clubs and give them a chance to uh, speak to uh, our audience, like, and just basically offer up what they are doing. So if you are out there on your Todd in the fan world and want to uh, like like get in more of a community, first of all, why the hell haven't you joined our forums? <laughs> <laughs> but secondly, it, it gives you a chance to uh, find some a group that may speak to you personally. So if you do, uh, if you run a fan club or if you know a fan club that would like to come on and uh, discuss what they do, uh, then by all means put them in contact with us. So uh, I haven't got a name for the section uh, yet, though. Uh, so here is an interview that I done with the uh, captain of the USS Nosferatu, uh, Captain Turgo. Uh, earlier this week, so enjoy. You wanna be in my game, my game, my game. Wanna be in my game? Oh yeah. Do you wanna be in my game, my game, my game? Wanna be in my game? So uh, this is a brand new section of the show where we're going to highlight uh, fan clubs. Uh, well, uh, as and when they uh, decide to approach us. And this week we're lucky enough to be joined by the captain of the USS Nosferatu, uh, Captain Turgo. Hello, sir. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. So, uh, what was uh, Amy Stu's uh, use this section to just try and help promote fan clubs? And I know that you're on a, a recruitment drive at the moment. Oh, yeah. We're, yeah, it's more like a recruitment frenzy, but yeah, <laughs> we, we've, been, we've been very busy trying to, to recruit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, we we central-based out of Florida, and mm-hmm. our group, basically, it's, it's a fan club where we can all get together and we can have fun and discuss things, all things Trek, but on the other side of that, we also like to do a lot of things for the community, aside from being just a Star Trek club. Excellent. So you, uh, you're doing a lot to, uh, uh, as you said, help the community, which is the basic ethos of the whole uh, Star Trek franchise. That is the Gene Roddenberry uh, vision of the future, like selflessness. Exactly. Well, I, he had good views, and there's no denying the fact that Roddenberry did have very good views, and we just try to keep those, we try to uphold those within our group. So instead of just being selfish and enjoying all this for ourselves and sitting around in a room and dressing up, we decided that we're going to take this to the next level. And I know that other groups have done this also, and I find that very admirable. So we decided to do the same. But we're going to step it up a level. Everything we do, we're going to, we do outside of here. We're going to try to promote the goodness of Roddenberry's vision. Mm-hmm. Which is definitely admirable, and I'm sure it's something that the the listener base can actually get behind because uh, it's it as as well as doing great stuff uh, like for the community, 
joining clubs like yourself just gives people a chance to like bond with other like-minded people. Well, that, that's what I'm hoping for, too. I'm a very social person. I like being around people. So I, this is just one way of connecting with people that way. And, I mean, what a better time to be a Star Trek fan. I mean, you, you got all the old stuff that's out there that's fantastic and great. you got all the new movies coming out, which, by the way, has mixed reviews. But neither here nor there, it's still part of what's going on. So it's, it's a great time to start something like this. We've been doing this now for about four or five months now. So it's still in the birthing process or in the launching process, if you want to put it that way. Yeah. But we just, we want to have a lot of fun with it and still do good at the same time for our communities. We also believe, go ahead. No, 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 you go. I was going to say, we we believe that not only can our local members that are here in in the same area as us, we believe that even out of area members, people join from around the world. There's a lot of good that can be done under the name Nosferatu. So even if you're halfway across the world, you can still represent the club there with what you're doing, with what we do. And our club is so much bigger than just our officers. It's it's about everybody. The club is our members. And this is what's going to make our club strive it's what's going to make a better club yeah and when you're opening your doors to members out of the area as well you're just there's so many more people with different points of view different opinion that just creates more like energy and excitement with regards to the group as well well see that's the best part the diversity of it the diversity of all these people coming from all these different cultures and all these different ways of thinking and the way they were raised, this is what's going to make this so much better than so many other clubs. I'm hoping, anyway. I've got big visions. <laughs> I'm hoping that, that I can pull it all together and make it work the way I'm, I'm, I'm envisioning. Excellent. So, uh, also, I was uh, just going to say, there, as well as being uh, your traditional fan club, there is a little bit of a uh, different... Uh, like twist uh, with, uh, with the USS Nosferatu, just a little bit. It's it's kind of funny how it came about. Where we are the USS Nosferatu, we're not just solely a Star Trek club. We're also a Star Trek slash vampire club. Um, now, a lot of people they're going to be a little surprised by this, but we lean heavier towards the Trek side of the club. And how it started was kind of humble, really. Um, I have a very bad sun allergy. and pretty much keeps me indoors during the daytime. And a lot of my friends call me a vampire. So, and jokingly call me a vampire. So we figured we'd work that in. And we take fans of both Star Trek and vampires. And if you're a fan of both, then you're definitely a, a great candidate for our club. But, uh, though I'm assuming uh, sparkly vampires are uh, frowned upon. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> we 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 definitely don't want to be turning any Klingons into vampires. <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't be a good thing for the Federation, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. So uh, people can find uh, yourself at uh, ussnosferatu.webs.com. That's correct. Um, <clears throat> come on over, sign up, um, take a look around, see if it's something that you might enjoy. 
we try to put our best foot forward and do what's right in our community. We try to help people that need help. And above all, we're not just friends. We're trying to build a little family. So, you know, they say charity starts at the home. So, I mean, if if you need someone to be social with, come on and see us. We'll, we'll be here. For us. We're one big family, not more, not as much of a crew as we are a family. That's the way we like to think of ourselves. That's the sort of attitude that's going to get you success uh, and longevity within the group. I find that, you know, it, it's got to be about the group first and then it can span from there. So it's it's sharing the love, I guess you can say. I mean, if we have a crew member in here and we run it more like a military than a family, then it's not going to run as smoothly. If we run it more out of friendship and family, I think we'll have a much smoother running group. So tell me a, a little bit about yourself. When did you get into Star Trek? Oh, I've been a Star Trek fan ever since I was a child. My father used to sit me down in front of the TV to watch the old Star Trek series with Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock. And I've been a fan ever since. I've watched all the TV shows, the new movies, the old movies. <laughs> I've, I've been a Trekker uh, as long as I can remember. <laughs> I'm glad that you, uh, it's, it, that you also uh, refer to yourself as a Trekker rather than a Trekkie. I've done I've done a little bit of my research on you too, Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And so, is there any particular series that you've always uh, clung towards, or is it just to be honest, it's almost like choosing from your own children? <laughs> exactly. It's hard to say which is your favorite. Cause I, I like them all equally, but I've been asked this question many a time, so I do have a prepared answer. <laughs> I think my favorite, I would have to say, would be Voyager, mostly because Voyager has the technology, but it also has the fun that the original series had. It had all that. It had the. It had great elements from the original series. It had great elements from uh, the Next Generation. So it's all kind of there, and I and I like Voyager for that. Um, but with that being said, it's really hard to top the original. So, I don't know. So, tell us a little bit about your ship. Uh, the Nosferatu. Well, it's a refit of, of a, a, a Excelsior-class ship. Um, we try to set our time period in between the time of Kirk and Picard. This, there's a little bit of gray area there, so we figured we'd play in that area. Um, our ship has got all kinds of... Like I said, it's a refit of the original Excelsior-class. So, there's... There's a little bit, a little bit more to it. Uh, they have a supposedly top secret uh, cloaking device that's on the Nosferatu, which also goes with the whole vampire section. Um, basically, we're a special ops unit. Um, we go. We are the last line of defense for Starfleet. I really don't know what else to say about the ship itself. It's big. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. There's plenty of room. I, I, actually, for I have a member right now. Oh yeah, plenty, plenty of room. I have a new member right now who um, he he's been great too. Uh, Mark Chambers, he just signed up uh, about a week ago. Week and, yeah, about a week ago. And th- this guy's been great. I mean, he's building schematics for us for the ship. Uh, he's putting together all kinds of stuff that soon will be up on the on our website that you can say um, about our ship. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. That should be 
should be interesting. That's brilliant to know. I I, I am familiar with Mark Chambers. He's um, yeah, he's from your neck of the woods. <laughs> yeah, he he found out about ourselves uh, when I uh, was on uh, the BBC uh, radio for an interview last week, and he uh, started following the site. And uh, I, I'm assuming he found yourself through the news article that was on the site. Oh, I'd like to think he did. <laughs> I would like to think that someone reads our news section as well. <laughs> so if anyone wants to find out details, uh, I'm setting up a section on the site uh, for fan clubs. So if you just go to the fan clubs page, uh, and then you'll be able to click on the USS uh, Nosferatu uh, section and it will point you in the right direction. Though if you want to go straight to their website, it's uh, USS N-O-S-F-E-R-A-T-U dot webs dot com. That's right. So thank you so much for joining us, uh, Captain Togo. Uh, no problem at all. Thank you for having me. And uh, I'm sure this won't be the last time that we hear from you. Oh, I should hope not. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been fun. Thanks. <laughs> You're more than welcome. So that was our new fan club section. And... Earlier on this, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to speak to uh, the presenter of the BBC Radio 2's Drive Time show as they wanted to speak to somebody who was a Star Trek fan. Now, first of all, I have to thank Jill for this ever happening because even though you wasn't directly involved with Radio 2... Uh, back in October, you did you did put someone in touch with me. I have unleashed you on the world. Yeah. <laughs> Release the Kraken. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. No. Uh, when I done the interview with BBC West Midlands, obviously uh, the bods at BBC have decided to keep us uh, keep my details on for if there's any Trek things to talk about. You are now token Star Trek fan. Yes. <laughs> so, so I'm not sure if they was hoping for nut jobs uh, Star Trek fan. <laughs> I might well, be a real disappointment to them. They're like, Christ, he's too normal. Yeah, I, I think there there's, there is this uh, idea that um, you know if they're going to do Star Trek, it's going to be a fun piece. Um, and what they have to realise, it's a very serious thing. <laughs> And we take it very seriously, and we don't appreciate the stereotypes. <laughs> Maybe I should just like be like just handing out audio bitch slaps. Yeah. <laughs> Left yeah. and right. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Still... <laughs> bring a reality to this. <laughs> yeah. First of all, may I just ask, what are your impression of trackies? Okay. <laughs> you shall be spared. <laughs> You are okay. Yeah. <laughs> we have judged you. <laughs> and deemed you fit yes. <laughs> to discuss Star Trek. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, I was uh, called up for uh, BBC Radio 2's Drive Time show. And it was uh, great fun. And I know a lot of people out there didn't get to listen to it because either you don't listen to Radio 2... I know nope. one person was quite insulted when I suggested that. <laughs> uh, 
but then also a lot of people aren't in the country, so can't view iPlayer. So I'm going to whack in uh, the radio uh, broadcast. Yesterday, uh, we were looking for your favourite uh, comedy films, and one such suggestion, which I think came from Pauling, didn't it, was Galaxy Quest, which was, of course, the science fiction parody of uh, Star Trek. And this had us thinking about the millions of Star Trek fans out there in the universe, and then we got into a mini-debate about which we thought was the best, and then some of us on the programme team were mocked for knowing too much about Star Trek, of course, and we were put into a little pigeonhole marked quirky. Slash geeky, slash nerdy. Uh, but on the line now, we have a true life Trekkie who presents his own podcast of this uh, science fiction phenomenon. His name is Wayne Emery, and I'd like to say a very good evening to you, Wayne. Good evening. Hi. Wayne, many, many years later, from Shatner all the way up to the most recent one who I don't know, why is Star Trek so popular and enduring? Uh, to be honest, it's always been a real mirror for like, uh, things that are actually going on in the world. Like back in the day, it made uh, like a real name for itself by uh, just uh, really talking about social inequalities and things that were going on that you couldn't in any other format other than in science fiction. And um, it, it still does that to this day. But uh, to be honest, there are so many reasons. Whether you're into the uh, space battles or whether you're just into the character development there's there's too many reasons uh, too many reasons and 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 when the debate rages as to the best uh, season or the best series I should say with the best captain where do you fall in you obviously have a favourite do you Uh, uh, well for the best series for me personally it was Deep Space Nine which not many people who aren't trackies would know about okay Um, and your favourite captain uh, Captain Catherine Janeway the first female captain Okay, um, what what when they have these conventions and people kind of throw they, they can be a bit unfair and they can mock the people who go to the conventions, but but they are actually all the people that go. So they seem to be uh, honest to goodness people who are just really into what they do. Like anyone would go to see a football match or something like that. Is that how you feel about it? It's exactly how we feel. Well, that's what me and all the guys who I uh, do my podcast with, we're just regular mm. people. There's people that are lawyers, that are accountants, doctors, that are all big trekkies. But unfortunately, yeah. the uh, the press only really ever highlights the quirky fans. And when, do you, how far do you go as a matter of interest? Do you have a uniform? Do you do you get involved in in a, in a deeper way? I have a uh, I have a red shirt uniform from the uh, original series, though uh, a number of my uh, co-hosts uh, do also have uniforms uh, as well. But it's not something that you would wear down the street. It's it's where you're nice and safe in the convention environment. <laughs> so if if one of your lawyers comes up to you in the court wearing a a shirt from the first season, you probably think, no, I think I might go with somebody else. You'd understand yeah. that, wouldn't you? But that did actually happen in America once. <laughs> what happened? Uh, there was a lady called Barbara Adams in uh, Arkansas who uh, mm. got picked to be a juror, and uh, she got a bit of flack because she turned up to every single session in her Next Generation uniform. Well, that would be quite a distraction for, uh, for for a lot of the men in the courtroom because I always think that there's a great sign, you know, geeky people like myself uh, run the Star Trek thing and they obviously get into costume design and make these beautiful women wear very little. And this is part of their revenge, I think, and they're, they're fulfilling their ultimate fantasy in, in Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> quite possibly, quite possibly, though she was wearing the standard standard uniform, everything covered. 
Yeah, all right. You know, but you know something. I, I hear what you're saying. The Tasha Yar number, as, as, it, as it might be called. Uh, yeah. When you think, do you speak Klingon? Uh, I know a few phrases. We've done a section on my podcast uh, where I was teaching a few phrases. So I, I'm yeah. a little bit rusty, but I know a few. Well, well can we, you speak pigeon Klingon? So in which case, could you give us your best? Uh, I, I'll give you two. I've got, uh, I've got Ruchbach or Puchpa, eh? Which is, okay. where is the bathroom? <laughs> it sounds like you need it, all right, when you say it. What's the next <laughs> bit? And uh, the next one is, Hechuch Nechkach Zhajvach, which is, oh. today is a good day to die. A very Klingon what, what, phrase. Uh, what what a lovely Klingon sentiment, really slash Danish sounding uh, term of uh, turn of phrase. I have of all the baddies, by the way, Star Trek wise, who was the most impressive? Who's the one you you grudgingly admire? Who's your Rommel? Uh, out of baddies, there's always only if you have to pin it down to one character, there's only going to yeah. be one name that comes to everyone's mind, which is Khan Noonien Singh. Because, okay, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just not in the gang enough to know what that means. So why is he so uh, significant? Oh, well, I'm sure you would know it if uh, you suddenly heard, uh, heard Captain Kirk screaming, Khan! Oh, <laughs> yeah, now I have you. Yeah, from Star Trek to, uh, from Star Trek to The Wrath of Khan. The Wrath of Khan, great stuff. Well, listen, it's been such a pleasure talking to you, Wayne. I bet you're all excited about the new uh, Star Trek film when it comes out. It's the second in the new series with Benedict Cumberbatch. Are you excited about that? Oh, we can't wait. Ninth of May, we're trying to give as much coverage as we can over at TrekMateFamily.com. Uh, we're, uh, we're totally buzzed. It's, it's only a good thing. It's been off of the screens for too long. Good stuff. Well, it's been a real pleasure talking to you, Wayne. Do I, do I, am I allowed to say live long and prosper, or is that too much of a cliche for you? Not at all, mate. Peace and long life. Peace and long life. Today is a good day to die, Wayne. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Goodbye. There he goes. What a lovely man. I say, Wayne Emery, live long and prosper. So that was uh, me on BBC Radio 2. Amazing. Yes, very cool. And uh, once again, Jill, thank you for (laughs) for making that happen. Uh, You won't be thanking me in a few years. It's a slippery slope, mate, now. Curse, Jill. <laughs> Why? Oh, dear. No, uh, you, you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. you, 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 t- you tell my wife like, when I'm trying. <laughs> no, I, 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 being a professional fan is good fun. And I speak from experience on that one. <laughs> I know, Mrs. It's A-Team. A- yes. My past <laughs> comes back to haunt me. <laughs> so um, next is going to be a section where I had a lengthy interview with uh, a gentleman uh, representing the Zeitgeist movement. The Zeitgeist movement is something that I've become extremely passionate about and uh, would just like to bring to uh, everybody's attention that uh, may or may not have heard uh, of them as very much they are a group that is synonymous with what Star Trek portrays uh, for the future. So this is quite a lengthy uh, chat that I had with uh, James Phillips, though I enjoyed every second uh, of it. Uh, So... We're now going to cut to uh, that interview, and then afterwards we'll be back uh, to round off with our music section with Matt Warwick.
So catch us on the other side. Trek has always taught of a future where there is no poverty and where mankind lives in peace. Though it has never portrayed the future without its flaws, as there is no such thing as a utopia. But it does portray an Earth that lives in harmony with its environment. And uh, one deciding factor for this statement is that in the future, there is no money. Whether it's quoted in Star Trek 4 from Kirk talking to Gillian Taylor saying that we don't need money in the future, or whether it's in First Contact where Picard tells Lily that the economics of the future is somewhat different. You see, money doesn't exist in the 24th century. The acquisition of wealth is no longer driven for it is no longer a driving force in our lives. We work to better ourselves and the rest of humanity. And one group that is pushing forward the future that all Star Trek fans have aspired to is the Zeitgeist Movement. And joining me today is coordinator of the TZM Education sect of the Zeitgeist Movement, James Phillips. Hello. Hello, James. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Thank you very much for having me on today, Wayne. I really appreciate it. I'm very excited to have uh, you join us today, James. Uh, because uh, if anyone who has been on the website recently uh, would have seen an article that I wrote uh, promoting the Zeitgeist movement, and uh, it, the, the movement is something that I discovered uh, quite recently, and it's something that I'm very excited about and want to educate myself further on. So, uh, James, I wouldn't do it justice, so would you like to just explain for... Uh, my listeners, uh, exactly what the Zeitgeist Movement is. Yeah, sure. Um, the Zeitgeist Movement is a sustainability advocacy group who call for a, a new look at our economic and social practices um, on this planet in the attempt to decipher the root cause of many of the problems that we see in our world and address them there with a sort of ground-up understanding um, of of the world in which we live and the effects that that has on our social system and back on and that social system back on the world. So, um, yeah, and and the uh, we want to, we're a sort of group that want to spread positive um, social values about uh, unity and and um, working together uh, to create a world that actually lives within its means, within its resource balance, if you will, um, and looks at the same time to eradicate uh, many of the problems we face technically. Um, and, um, 
and basically that that's what the zeitgeist movement means really zeitgeist comes from the german word um it, it defines the general cultural moral climate of an era and movement seeks a change so we seek a change in our current values um that uh that you know are prominent through our culture and um and if we change we feel if we can change those values and and help people to understand a new this new economic system then we might be able to um uh transition into something that's more sustainable and peaceful for everybody on this planet and to be honest this is very uh, this is a message that as i said previously is synonymous with the world of star trek so it only makes sense to like uh, for me to uh, like bring it to uh, star trek fans attention that <laughs> because it's something that we've all always looked to and said you know what this is a future that could happen and it it's not a future that is to be honest in my opinion unrealistic but there's a lot of work that needs to take place that everybody needs to get behind to make it happen yes i i agree and in fact i had seen um a couple of clips from uh previous star trek episodes that you know were, were almost chilling in how close they were to what it is we talk about and uh in fact it, basically they were it really and and so i i've been well aware of the connection with star trek um, for a while, um, in fact, and actually, um, the the movement um, really ad- advocates what's called a resource-based economy, mm-hmm. which is the social design from an, uh, another organisation called the Venus Project, who we reference quite a lot in our materials, and um, the lead designer from that is a, a gentleman called Jacques Fresco. And um, the design of the resource-based economy comprises 75 years of um, his work. He's an industrial social uh, engineer and scientist, futurist. Um, and uh, uh, actually, we discussed this before coming on air, but um, it we might did. be time to mention um, mention this. That uh, Shall I go ahead with it, Wayne? Yeah, go for it. Okay. That basically, uh, back in the 70s, um, Jacques was uh, had a link to Star Trek because he he attracted the uh, attention of the animator, as it says here on the wiki page, Doug, Dre- Doug Drexler, who worked with Fresco to produce several computer renderings of his designs, um, uh, as well as Arthur C. Clarke and people like that as well who talked about the future and what have you. So undoubtedly, I'm sure um, Doug uh, Drexler must have had some form of influence from Fresco on more than the level of just animation. Must have had a conversation with him, I would presume. I can imagine so, because uh, Doug was behind a lot of the uh, designs for later shows like Deep Space Nine, Enterprise, as well as Generations, First Contacts and Insurrection. So, to be honest, it makes perfect sense when you look at the designs that uh, there are in Star Trek. The, the Venus Project uh, actually influenced uh, some of them designs. Yeah. It makes absolute sense. So, it, And once again, just proves that 
the relationship is like quite synonymous. Exactly. You know, uh, and 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 when um, when you gave me a call and and you were saying, you know, I'm from this podcast. We do Star Trek. We'd like to have someone on from the Zeitgeist movement and yada yada. And I, I, uh, my face lit up. I thought, oh, that's that's perfect. You know, I, I in fact I actually thought after the phone call, I thought, why have I never sent an email? So why have I never typed in Star Trek podcast and sent an email? And and you know, and so when the traffic flows in the other direction. Um, it, it's uh, it's quite nice, but but yeah. So um, the, the, I, th- I think anybody who who takes a, a five minute look at one of the websites, either the Zeitgeist Movement or the Venus Project, um, if they're if they're a um, Star Trek fan, will will soon come to see exactly what we're talking about. Exactly, and uh, one of the main factors uh, that is really holding our society back at this point uh, isn't necessarily the knowledge or the know-how because we have the technology, we have the knowledge on how to implement systems that can get us to that future, uh, but it's the archaic system of money. It, well, yeah, I, I, essentially money, it, it's important to sort of... Um, no, that money came around as an uh, as a necessity in times of great scarcity, in um, and for a long, long time, as long as you need um, systems that, that where you you have to have crappy jobs done by humans, then you're going to have to have some sort of reward mechanism to uh, to make the system run, you know, uh, and, and such. So really, money is there to address an inefficiency or scarcity. Uh, but at the same time, it reinforces the need for scarcity, because mm-hmm. if you you cannot possibly have something in abundance and charge money for it, you you can't charge money for air. Um, it's it, 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 as I always the example I always use is if oranges drew, grew at the at a tree on the end of everybody's garden, would Sainsbury's sell oranges? Yeah, exactly. But obviously, they wouldn't. So. It's important to recognise that money reflects um, live, um, a inefficiency in technical design, or um, the lack of a technical ability to create an abundance in that area. Now, as soon as you have the technology to create an abundance, it changes the whole scope of economics because pretty much every economic theory up until resource-based economics is based explicitly on the idea that there will always be a scarcity technically to be able to meet human needs and as you just so eloquently put that is just absolutely not reality and the thing that's holding the whole show back right now is the monetary system and it's it's reinforcing mechanisms Uh, so yeah and to be honest i don't understand how anybody can try and justify that the current system we have works when so when there are so many people starving in the world when there is just simply no need to be when there is so many people that are homeless and without the basic essentials that any human being should uh, like be without that there is just no need for that the only reason why people are kept in poverty is so that <laughs> because it costs money to actually get them out of, po- of poverty without any sort of 
profit. Yeah. There, there is uh, there is no profit in there's profit in problems. That's essentially what inefficiency is. It, it, it's it, um, you know with regards to homelessness, I think George Carlin put it very well where, when he said if there was any money to be made from eradicating homelessness, then there wouldn't be any homeless people. It, it's I mean almost if you look at it, you take a step back. The very mere fact that you have charities and you need charities in your system proves that it doesn't meet human needs. If it were an efficient system that could meet human needs, why would you need charity? Exactly. Exactly. It, it, it's, a, it's a flagrant admittance that it doesn't work. And I always say to people, okay, look, if, if capitalism or whatever you want to call what we have now, which I wouldn't call it capitalism, by the way, but I can come back to that if you want. Um, if, if whatever you want to call the system we have in place now was remotely efficient, then I'll tell you what, we'll do a little test. We'll take all the charities away tomorrow and everything will go, everything will work out fine, yeah? And we'll go, oh, oh well, no, because then it, the, the, you know, the proverbial poo would really hit the fan. And you go, well, then you're admitting it doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. By all formal logic, you're admitting that it doesn't work. And, and you're quite right. That in a world that can of that can that actually currently produces enough food to feed itself twelve times over every man, woman, and child, the problem is clearly not technical; it's distribution. And what's the what is at the heart of the distribution um, of resources for for human need on this planet? The monetary system. Exactly, and it's and the same goes for uh, like energy. There there is no. There is no need for there to be areas in the world that is cut off from energy, but there are times when there are constant blackouts in cities, uh, stateside or wherever, because there is an abundance of energy, whether it be hitting our Earth every single day from the sun, which produces thousands of times more energy than we ever need, whether it's tidal energy or whether it's... there are so many other systems that we should be relying on. And one uh, thing that hit me when I was listening to one of the uh, Zeitgeist uh, radio shows, um, I can't remember if it was one of yours or somebody else's, where they had visited a dam in America and it had five turbines that produced electricity. And because one turbine would produce enough energy to power a, a city almost like the size of Boston for a month, they would only turn on one turbine at a time. So that <laughs> then, otherwise, there would be an abundance and they wouldn't be able to charge as much. Yeah. So it, it's like even in the system you have now, you've got to turn five out of six of the turbines off because if you did it, if you create an abundance like that, you can't charge as much money for it. You know, mm-hmm. that's the whole point. The reason diamonds uh, cost what they do is because they're relatively rare. It, 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 a good example would be if gold, if it rained gold tomorrow, you'd find people running out into the streets, picking it up and filling up their cellars with it. If it rained gold for a month, they'd sweep it away like it was leaves. Yeah. Just wouldn't want it anymore. Uh, and that's the point. That it's a technical, it's a lack of technical ability. That's all it is. Um, and yeah, and so the example, by the way, you were using was a good friend of mine, um, Ben McLeish, uh, uh, 
who's well worth checking out on YouTube and any of his talks. A very, uh, he gives very astute observation of so many different facets of our, of our system. Uh, and yeah, and that particular example is from a trip that he, he made to America. But, but coming back to what you said about the energy thing, um, uh, it's actually two minutes of uh, sunshine at high noon, um, I believe, on this planet is our, our annual energy usage. Um, we it, this, the energy from the sun's rays is like like you said thousands of times geothermal energy. Um, MIT study on that basically said that if we strategically apply geothermal energy, which is the mining of heat from deep underground, of course, then we could supply the Earth with all the energy it would need for the next four thousand years. That's just one. We, we, we and then wind. If again applied in the same manner, would supply 50% of, of, of uh, just or 20% of wind would supply um, the planet with all of its energy needs. Wave power again with the same sort of application could do half. Tidal power could do 34% of the UK's energy supply if applied strategically. So this this notion that sometimes you see moving around in in the mainstream media that you know we can't live without oil or you know and and these current sort of archaic um uh systems of energy production that we have now is is a complete and total lie it's not true it does not stand up to scientific evidence and and you you know so it's very very important to point out the the, the, the sheer scale of abundance that is being held back for, for narrow-sighted, short-term profit. And I I just... The only reason why they're holding on to that is because they want to squeeze every penny that they can out of the last 50 years of oil that there is before then they try and uh, then make a mint on renewable energies. I mean, there's a, there's a question mark over... There's a lot of question marks over the the whole thing there. I mean, for instance, like, are they not? They're not even really showing that they're using oil to bridge towards this renewable economy. That's what scares me. Is that mm-hmm. they're not talking? They're not talking the language of people who really understand the the, the precipice that they're 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 facing. It, it's like um, it's like an insanity. because whenever you hear this is very important to get some of these points out to your audience you have to decode language it's one of the most important things you you, you have to do whenever you hear someone talking about the economy think about the word the word economy means to economize so that's to be prudent it comes from the Greek term the management of the household yeah to to manage your household's resources wisely intelligently this system explicitly needs things to be wasted as quickly as possible how could you possibly call a system that requires infinite growth on a finite planet and still call it an economy it's the polar opposite of it actually it's an anti-economy it's kind of like an almost um, Orwellian type of double thick where you actually use a word that means the opposite you know of mm-hmm. we're using it for so to cut so whenever somebody uses economy a great segue into the conversation i sometimes find is as i say which economy are you talking about 
Are you talking about the anti-economy or the real economy? And they go, what are you on about? And then you explain it. And, and the thing is, you can't really get out of that argument because we all know that we're wasting things and, uh, on this planet. And we get, we get placated, if you will, with, um, with, with appeals to, well, recycle your cardboard and use a couple of low energy light bulbs. You think to yourself, what is that going to do on a, on a planet that's going to be, that's going to use up all of its rainforest by 2040 or 2050? We're going to have water shortage issues through the stupid distribution of it by 2060. You, you, you know, when you, when you start thinking about these sorts of trends towards waste, you think it's, it's like, um, it's, it's the equivalent of, um, I don't know, like putting up a, a, a hand in front of a tsunami and saying stop. It, it's just not going to help. No, because the system is the thing that's causing the effect. And, and I think Einstein put this best when he said, um, the, well, he said a couple of things, in fact, but, but one of them is very good is you can't solve the problems of today by using the same method of thinking you used when you created them. So you can't go, well, yeah, you know, capitalism uh, or I don't like calling it capitalism, but the free market enterprise, if you want to call it that, um, uh, is causing all these problems. And don't worry, we're going to use that system to solve them. Well, you can't. Clearly, you can't. So lots of people advocate for sustainability and there's lots of organizations out there who are attempting to do something within the system without questioning the system because to question the system is to go against the religion of the day which is money you know and i was gonna say bring up later but and uh, one thing that uh, we really face is anyone that steps outside of them norms is instantly dismissed as a nut job yeah, exactly. And that comes, that, I'm glad you said that because that comes straight back, doesn't it, to a couple of things. First of all, the wordplay I'm talking about with economy. A, another great one in there that I wanted to mention previously is growth. You hear, it, you hear politicians talking about how great growth is all the time. Um, what they don't realize is that they're calling to use up your planet's resources at an exponentially speeding up rate with no idea of how to put them back at all and no protocols for doing it. And in fact, if you waste it quicker, you can charge more for it. So it's quite a good thing. But that's infinite growth on a finite planet. If you think about it, an organism that feeds on its life host, not knowing that it's unhealthily involved in infinite growth, would be to, would be in, in clinical and medical terminology considered to be cancerous. So I'm sorry to be really, really depressing on your show or anything, no. but, but there's nothing, but there's no joy for me in life with, with having my head ducked in the sand and or my fingers in my ears going la 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 and be when it, that you're not facing reality. You know, when you're a kid, you, your parents say, grow up, face reality. And then mm -hmm. when you grow up and you say, well, you're talking about sustainability, but you, you're it's you're not addressing the root cause of the problem. You need to be grown up and face it together as a species, a responsible, grown up, apparently intelligent species, and say this system's not fit for purpose anymore yeah. for seven billion people living on this planet. It's fine when there's one billion people. You can do you can, you can engage in that sort of stupidity. But I'm sorry, now you've got seven billion people, you've got to grow up because nano weapons are just around the corner. 
and you know when, when you can 3D print guns in 20 years time what are you going to do then yeah exactly and uh, though uh, one thing that we do face is obviously getting the uh, getting more people to actually understand where we're coming from because society is brainwashed into such a way of thinking it's like I introduce the Zeitgeist movies to my parents, and my parents are both, uh, well, my dad's over 70, and my mum's coming up to 70. And um, they, uh, my mum turned around and said, well, it, it's, a, it's a great dream for the future, but it won't ever happen. I said, yes, but why won't it happen? She said, because this is the way it's always been. I said, yes, but that doesn't mean it's the way it has to be. And she said, yeah, but that's just the way it is. And it... No, go ahead. Yeah, sorry, that's a really important um, important point to sort of... That I get as a question regularly, um, you know, in Q&As. And, you know, it's always been this way. Actually, no, it hasn't. Um, that's, that's actually not true. For 95,000 years of the human species evolution, we were nomadic. Mm-hmm. It's the thing that changed and moved the system towards ownership and um, hierarchical dominance and, and uh, st- structuring of society in such a way was the agricultural revolution, approximately 10,000 10, years ago, when we started to say, that plot of land is mine, and I'm going to settle down, which means we can have more children because we don't have to carry them around. So we can have families and societies and then cities and then structures and then countries and then governments. And so the story goes. Now, I mean, with a lot of that came an awful lot of good things. And actually, money at that particular time, very, very good instrument. You know, it was the best thing we had. It was the best system of operations we had for the level of technical uh, achievements we had at that time. Yeah. It, it, so it wasn't that it was, it was bad. And, uh, but... Um, it's just outgrown its usefulness to us. It's it's outmoded. Um, and and the, the, the very important thing to add to, oh, things are never going to change, is, right, well, 500 years ago, we used to burn women for being witches. Um, and we used to think that the plague uh, was the devil punishing us, you know, and, and, and all of these sorts of notions. And we used to think the planet was flat. And we used to, just, there's loads of things we used to think and we used to operate and we used to do in society that we do not do anymore, um, uh, thankfully. And so to say that things have never changed is ludicrous um, for a start. And secondly, to say that they're never going to change is to ignore the internal dynamics of the system you have, which which I can go into if you if you want, Wayne, because because people yeah. don't understand that this system is coming to an end, whether you like it or not. Yeah, by all means. So what you've got is is the whole backbone to the free market enterprise and the capitalist system is that you have to have jobs uh, so that you have labour for income, so that you have purchasing power. But what we've seen as an increasing trend is a move towards technological automation of those jobs. So um, you, you used to have everybody working in farming. Um, now only, we only need one percent of the population working in farming, whereas it used to be ninety. Um, manufacturing jobs have disappeared um, uh, exponentially. So that so and now the service sector is being hit: automated checkout desks, automated phone payment services, and with the exponential increase in technological efficiency. 
in computer computer technology, especially from something called Moore's Law, if you want to check that out, the, the jobs that you think are safe and they're going to be safe for the next 20 years, forget it. They're not. Because as soon as it's cheap enough for a company to automate that job, why would they pay a human being? It's it's not in the gravitas of profit. And because, and it's because these companies are competing, what, if one company goes to automate, the other one has to go to automate. Now, what they don't seem to realize is that if the both of them are pushing people out of their jobs and into the marketplace with no purchasing power, so with no money to buy the goods that those companies are turning out, then your system's doomed. So it, you, you don't have enough jobs to go around to keep the whole thing going. It's called the contradiction of capitalism or technological unemployment because it, it's an in, internal structural dynamic that will bring an end to um, the, the the job the, the whole job premise of the of the of the market system. Yes. That's really really important point to point out. It, 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 it's an exponential trend. Now, in the past, human beings were able to retrain fast enough to keep up with machine automation. But what's happening now is because it's 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 an it's a it's not a linear curve. Exponential curves work very very differently, and this is an exponential increase in technological efficiency. So because of that, it's now the case that you couldn't retrain fast enough to keep up with the jobs that the machines are going to displace. And uh, there, I've recently uh, had quite a few uh, great pro quotes when I was listening to a talk by uh, Federico Pistoni, the uh, authors of uh, Robots Will Steal Your Job, but that's okay. Yeah, he's a good friend of mine, Federico. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. I, re I really enjoyed his Z-Day talks. Mm, yeah, he's, he's, really, he's really on it. In fact, an interesting story with Federico. Um, he came over to the UK recently and stayed with me at my house. Um, and uh, we went to uh, I, I, TZM Education, which is, is what you introduced me as at the beginning, is um, a website that helps site-based movement members go into schools to talk about a resource-based economic model, um, which I, I've done that for a couple of years now in different schools and what have you. And I had this date lined up at this school and it just so happened to coincide with Federico's trip. So I said, hey, why don't we get Federico? You know, who, who's from the Technology Institute, uh, the Singularity Institute, um, the, uh, uh, the, uh, sorry, that works with NASA and stuff, you know, so he really knows his stuff, um, to come over and give a talk to the kids. So he comes in and there's about 318 year old um, kids sitting there waiting to hear what he's got to say. And he basically says, right, put your hand up if you know anybody who works in these jobs. And so you've got drivers, lawyers, accountants, things like that. And loads of hands naturally go up. Yeah. And he says, yeah, uh, hands up if you're thinking of going to study in university to, to do one of these jobs. And obviously most hands go up. And he says, right, I'm here to tell you today that they're not going to be here by the time you get out. <laughs> <laughs> no. And uh, and you can hear the tumbleweed through the room, you know, and the teachers starting to like their eyes open going, um, you're slightly undoing the whole reason these kids actually come to this place. Yeah. <laughs> and um, 
Uh, and then he backs it up with, as you've seen from Federico, he backs it up with the absolute hard scientific evidence and scientific facts and just goes, right, here's Moore's law, here's, here's singularity, here's exponential trends, here's the patterns that we've already seen in, in technological unemployment, and basically says, there's no way you're reading out of this. You're going to have to fixate your, your ideas on something very different. Um, and, <clears throat> It's fascinating the response you get in those those situations um, from people uh, who are coming to the realization that whatever they were thinking needs to be rethought. Um, and it's a very very good book, and, you, and Federico is definitely a good guy to check out. But I, I thought that was a, quite an interesting little segue there. No um, sort of response you get. That is, and it's it's a great point as well because if if we do have kids for years people have been well forever <laughs> people have been growing up with dreams and aspirations to do something with their lives that they feel passionately about but 99% of us get stuck into something that we would never have considered to actually like be what we want to do with our lives and you're stuck in that system of you need to earn money to live, and then your free time gets taken up with everything that you do just to put a roof and uh, over your head and food on the table. So imagine if all of them kids, rather than training for the jobs that are going to become uh, like redundant, were actually putting something into their education that meant that they were doing something that they wanted to do exactly and and the the funny thing is what, what you're talking about there is intrinsic motivation rather than extrinsic so extrinsic is doing something for an external reward and the interesting thing about money there was a te- there was a, a a few studies done in this area that if you want to re- reward creative enterprise then offering a grade or a reward, or um, praise, or punishment, or money, is a terrible thing to do. Because true creativity comes from engagement in the task below. Um, Now, if you want to reward back-breaking labor, hard, sweat, and and toil-type labor, money is a brilliant way of of upping out output. And and this is done in several tests in, in lots of different countries around the world, including some of the most economically deprived, such as India. Um, where basically you ratchet up the monetary reward for a creative task and actually the creative the creativity in the task diminishes. Um, it's shown to diminish the more monetary rewards you put on it because people stop thinking about the actual task and the merits in hand and they start thinking about the doggy biscuit mm-hmm. rather, rather than that. And it slimlines their thinking into what do I have to do to just get to the money? Whereas cre- creativity is like, I don't care about the money. This is a wicked problem. Let's work it out. Let's keep an open mind. So it narrows, it tunnels your vision. So actually the education system we have currently in place, that's that's very monetary, if you will, in orientation towards grades, praise and punishment, has actually been shown to not reward creativity, not reward generalistic um, thinking, uh, you know, um, a more generalist point of view towards education. Now, if the machines are taking over the jobs in the economy and it's increasingly becoming a... uh, uh, the robots are increasingly doing the tough jobs 
the menial the menial jobs and and and, and what have you what would you rather have a system that rewards for? What would it be more logical to reward for? To reward for backbreaking labour and lack of creativity, or more creativity and less backbreaking labour? Exactly. And for people, when it comes down to uh, the actual wage that you get for that backbreaking labour as well, you could do 40 hours a week in Tesco and only get 15 grand a year. But then, uh, like, someone who's only putting in 10 hours a week but is in charge of 30 people might be getting 50 grand a year. The, the, it, the monetary system doesn't reflect the amount of labour that you're actually putting in. It's, it's a very good point, and it's one of my favourite questions as well, is you guys just want a free ride. It's like, well, okay, um, do you have a tap? in your home oh yeah did you invent that tap no did you work out how to work that tap no did you do anything other than arrive on planet earth grow up a little bit so that you could reach the tap and then fill up your glass with water no not really right well then you can take that hard work thing and just throw it away because you didn't do anything for that you didn't work for that no and do you think it, 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 and there's a thing to do with hard work. Look, man, they've got no problem with hard work, but it depends what you're working hard for. I always say this to people. They go, well, um, I believe in working for a living. Okay, first of all, when you came to this planet as a helpless baby, someone else worked to make you live. So if you really believed it, we should have stuck you out in the woods in your nappy <laughs> and, and see how you get on. <laughs> you know. Um, and secondly, if, if it were true about the working hard I I always say well, working hard at what what job do you do because in my eyes if you sell arms to some third world country mm -hmm. or you're involved in working out how to make the next destructive weapon or you work in hedge fund management that, that pushes around meaningless debt that's attached to nothing at all um, and is hemorrhaging your, your system of, its, of any true value it, it has pertaining to your resources or meeting human need or survival, then I would say you're working hard for completely the wrong reasons. So what do you mean by working hard? Yeah. You, 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 have, you, you have people who go out and, and, and work do, doing wonderful work for charitable organisations, um, you know, wonderful in the terms of, of the human spirit that goes behind that, um, and they get nothing for it, mm -hmm. nothing for it. But we all stand back and go, well, you know, we all give our money at Comic Relief and we say, isn't it nice, you know, that people are doing this sort of thing in the world? And you think, yeah, how much money do they earn? Or ask them how much money they earn for it, or nothing. Why is it that the nicest jobs that bring humanity together are paid crappily, and the, 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 the most despotic and inhumane practices on this planet are rewarded the highest? It makes no sense whatsoever, and it's it's like uh, there is uh, there's a species in Star Trek called the Ferengi, and they have rules of uh, they're a species that's obsessed with money, and uh, they have a rules of acquisition, and one of the rules of acquisition is war is good for business. <laughs> yeah. There's a very good book, by the way, I'd suggest to your, your readers, called um, War is a Racket by uh, Smedley D. Butler, 
who was a decorated war veteran. I think he won the Purple Heart. I could be wrong. But this guy was a general in the U.S. Army. He was just about as high as you could possibly get in the U.S. Army um, for years, in the First World War and the Second World War. And he... He, he basically wrote a book, War is a Racket, and he said, I didn't fight for countries, I didn't fight for my country, I fought for corporations. And it basically lays out all of the corporate contracts and US steel and all these sorts of um, people throughout the war and lays out how their profits went up a thousandfold, you know, on, on the outbreak of war and, and what have you. Do you know, right, that, that what it would cost to, to feed, clothe, uh, to feed, sorry, just feed, feed every starving person on this planet, what it would cost for a year is spent in just eight days on war. I didn't know that statistic, but that's a sickening statistic. You, you, the point is, is, what it comes down to is, ignorance is not bliss. It's the last bastion of the beaten. If you get told a fact like that about how your planet works... And then you go back to sticking your fingers in your ears and saying, la, 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 I'd rather remain ignorant. You are not being ignorant. You are being stupid. Because I just told you it. How can you be ignorant of something that you've just been told? It's like if you're wearing a blue shirt. And I say, hey, you're wearing a blue shirt. You say, no, don't tell me I'm wearing a blue shirt. I just, well, <laughs> you can't. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. It's the whole definition of ignorance is that you don't want me to tell you something. Well, I just told you it anyway. So now what are you going to do? What you're going to be is a coward. I don't mean to be like this. I know this sounds quite forceful and quite aggressive, but think it's just, it's not actually forceful or aggressive if you stand back off it. It's just pure logic. If someone tells you something and you now know that information, you either have to go and question it and work out whether it's true. And by all means, please do question everything I've said today. I could be completely, you know, lying through my teeth or just be completely misinformed. Um, so by all means, go and question it. But if I tell you that, you go out, you find out that it's true, and you know it's true, ignorance is just, ignorance was never an option from the minute I told you, but it's especially not an option now. And that's one of the things, that the society that we live in today has been so good at convincing so many people that we live in a free world. It's fantastic that we live in a free world, we have freedom of speech, we can do what we want, but really you are totally restricted by every single organisation out there. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there are there are restrictions, but I, I think it's, you know, it's also important to, to point out that it's important to see where you don't have restrictions and where you have the power to make um, positive changes in the world. And, and I, think, I think it's important to, to also note a couple of things. We have come a long way of, as, a, as a species who evolved from you know, living in caves and, uh, and, and not, knowing, you know, not knowing what shape our planet was uh, to a species that can fly around it. And, and actually can now, you, you know, although we, we found out that you just lived down the road from me, yeah. <laughs> we could potentially be having this conversation and you could be in Australia, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, we've, we've come from, we've, it's not all doom and gloom. Um, uh, it's not all doom and gloom. It's, um, 
um, it, there's positives to this as well. There's huge positives if we're prepared to face reality. But you, you never, you never get. Um, so it's important to work out what those positives are and what the positives are in your life and what positive changes you can make. Um, uh, you know, whilst you're on this planet and see where the potentials lie. So I think we should be very grateful for the fact we've got this fantastic communication device to the rest of planet Earth sitting in front of us called the Internet. It's just just when you think about it, absolutely amazing and and is actually birthing a new revolution on this planet called the information revolution. So we had the technological or the technological revolution. So we've had like the industrial revolution one and two. We're now moving into the third, if you will, industrial revolution Um or the, you, you know, the information technological revolution. And it, the only question is, how much suffering do we have to go through before we get there? And also, it's a little bit of a race against time into whether we're going to get really amazing technology and really, really dumb people using it. As I mentioned earlier, you know, with, with the advent of nanotechnology and the potential of nanotech weapons um, and the... And the 3D printing that eventually you're going to be able to 3D print a gun. How are you possibly going to stop despotic behavior in such an environment? Surely you would need to create an environment where people don't want to print guns and they don't want to create weapons because you've eradicated the need for, for that type of behavior through the reinforcing mechanisms in your social system. Exactly, because if there is an abundance of the basics that you need for living, then you eliminate a great deal of the actual root causes behind many of uh, the world's crimes that currently take place. Yeah, and this is an important point to note, because people um, people say... You, you know, it, it, we have these presuppositions about human beings, you know, human behavior. Um, we go, well, that guy's just born evil or born mm-hmm. in sin. And, and, and when you say, well, OK, I mean, first of all, what experience do you have in um, criminal, you know, um, psychology? What, 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 how, how long have you investigated that for? Oh, oh, I haven't. Um, well, then what qualifies you to speak in this area, with all due respect? Because you're making a massive assumption about human nature. If, if it were human nature, wouldn't all people have to have to have have to do it? So, if you look at the human species, we create the um, we create the most variable. Uh, set of living circumstances on this planet no no creature shows more different social variability than, than us um and actually if you you can see the direct correlation between the environment and human behavior when you when you take it into effect we're not all a product of environmental conditioning but it, it is it, when you when you step back from it it is the large um elephant in the room so to speak so we're a unique recent scientific many scientific studies show that we're we're a unique um culmination of a unique a genetic um code 
interacting with environmental stimulus, but genes are not independent initiators of commands. They have to have an environmental trigger to come into effect. And that's critical to understand. And, and really, when you step back from it, it's really easy to see, isn't it? In Roman times, you know, if you went to the Colosseum with your dad, to, to what you'd watch Christians being fed naked to lions and ripped limb from limb, you know, and, and, um, you'd say, Daddy, Daddy, can we come back next week and watch Christians being fed to lions? And he'd turn around to you and he'd say, only if you're good. Exactly. It's, it's very much... Well, look at Nazi Germany. So many people... Do you think it's in that society's nature to want to be so brutally harsh against the people and cause so much pain and suffering no not at all it's the environment that they were brought into yeah, precisely um, did you sorry did you say nazi germany this yeah time? yeah so nazi germany is very interesting because if you, if you look at the history of that and the treaty of um, versailles and the reparations that were put upon the, the germans and then the so the huge level of scarcity um, that they that they were actually in um, in that country and the and the the, uh, the absolute crashing of their economy in, in the nineteen in in the early nineteen thirties and, and late nineteen twenties and it was just absolutely ripe for Hitler to walk in there and do what he did and and really so the the conditions had to be there they didn't want anything to do with him in nineteen twenty three they stuck him in prison. Because things were all right, you know. Um, so, uh, you know, so basically, you, you're absolutely right. The, the environmental stimulus is very important, you know, uh, to, to try to understand. An Eskimo can't possibly dream of palm trees if he's never left the snow. Mm-hmm. So, and, and actually, you know, there, there are some societies on this planet like the Honorites and the Anuta and the people who live on the Kibbutz in Israel, where there, there's no recorded case of a homicide. And so that's amazing. It, it's amazing. Amazing. If you grow up in a non-violent community that, that don't share violent values, you're not going to have violent people. And actually, if you look at the most violent criminals in our prisons, they have suffered a level of child abuse which you and I can't even, uh, can't even probably fathom to imagine even existed when you talk to them vast majority there's so many so many interesting studies about this uh, for instance there's um, have you ever heard of something called the Merva Fowl study no the Merva Fowl study was um, a study done across 30 metropolitan cities totaling po- a population of 80 million um, that's basically found that a 1% increase in unemployment resulted in a 2, I think it's a 2.7% increase in violent crime, a 3.4% increase in um, property crime, and a 4% increase in um, uh, street robberies, or something like that. Basically, there was a one-to-one correlation between unemployment, so, you know, scarcity, deprivation, and the effects it caused on crime. Mm -hmm. in those cities, across all of those different cultures and different populations. So it shows that it's not even a case that people are just going into shops and stealing stuff because they haven't got money. There's a bio-psychosocial bio, bio so, pressure on the human being. So 
when when you live in a more unequal society, and this is very important because our system creates inequality structurally. And inequality, if you live in a developed country but it's unequal, you will be more, more likely to suffer from a whole range of um, uh, unhealthy things such as life expectancy, obesity, teenage pregnancy rates, re-imprisonment, um, heart attacks, strokes, depression, diabetes, all of these are higher in more unequal developed countries because the social stratification of shame, disrespect and um, and the whole notion of I'm better than you because I'm higher up the ladder than you and all that kind of, that kind of competitive mentality actually creates more unhealthy people in both ends of the spectrum by the way the rich in more unequal developed countries are worse off than the rich in the more equal ones. So this whole notion that, well, surely the, the, most, the richest even in the mo most unequal society are doing really well for themselves. No, they're not, actually. You'd much rather be rich, but in a, in a society that's more egalitarian in general. And then you're best. That's where you're best off. Yeah. So the, all, of these, all of these studies and effects go to show that human beings are, are the, the, the thing that's given us the best um, rung on the evolutionary ladder is our ability to adapt. You know? Um, the, and, and that ability to adapt to changing circumstances is very much, gives us a huge ray of hope for the future, I think. That we've got this fantastic ability to communicate with each other that's only, only got even better with things like the internet. Um, and, and we can now actually, we don't have to rely on one hierarchical stream of media coming from the mainstream media. We can produce our own media. We can take pictures on our phones of, of what's actually happening on the ground rather than relating on some, relying on some cameraman who will edit it before it gets back to the news station. And when they do do, when they do actually things like that, we go, oh no, 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 this is definitely happening right now. Look, I'm filming it. Yeah. And that's fantastic. So there's a lot of hope for the future, I think. Well, that's the thing. We, we now in a society where information literally cannot be kept from the masses in the sense of that is why one of the thing, the points that the Zeitgeist movement uh, advocates totally is we must protect the rights of the Internet. Yes, absolutely. Because as soon as somebody starts to try and control the internet, uh, they're once again controlling the, everything that they don't want people to hear. Precisely. And uh, I, I think that it would be the case that, you know, the, 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 um, the horse is bolted now. That, that I, I don't think that means we should be complacent. There's things like SOPA. And um, uh, what's the other one called? You know those acts that the Americans try to um, get through. Uh, yes. Yeah, the the internet, the internet acts um, that they try to pull through the back door, basically, um, full restrictions. <clears throat> and, and good on people like Google. I think was it? It was Wikipedia, wasn't it? That yes. Put a, a day where they put up their site saying, imagine if. What did they say? Imagine if information was not available to all or something. Mm -hmm. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and and that's brilliant because then people go, you know, uh, they, they they they're going to protect that. I mean, I I think, but it, certainly we shouldn't get complacent. We have to protect the internet at all costs, really. Exactly. And one thing that it, just touching on crime again, it, it, we, where we currently live in a system that we do, we're also not touching on yes in the because people turn around and argue do you honestly think there'll be no crime in the future no 90 percent of crime will be gone because the, uh, there is no scarcity but then the remainder of crimes to, uh, to be honest should all, almost be treated as illnesses and we should try and figure out the actual markers for what is causing the problem in these people's genetics to actually cause them to want to kill people, to want to touch kids, to want to do these things, so that then we can prevent future issues occurring. Yeah, and, and do you know what the the anomaly of, of, of this that's truly tragic is that not to, to basically just throw a label at a particular type of of um, behaviour, uh, and and just say, well, these people were born evil. Well, it is it doesn't do anything. Is it, it, you think that you think that by all rallying round in arms and saying this is despicable behaviour, but doing nothing to actually eradicate the root cause of that behaviour, or even ask that question, because to ask that question, you're of course excusing the behaviour, aren't you? Well, they, that's how people view it. But actually, you're doing that. By you putting a label on it and doing no scientific research whatsoever to actually work out why that effect happened in in nature and how to actually eradicate it technically, by you doing that, you're the irresponsible one. You see, you make it sound like you care, but it's not caring. And this is um this is a really important thing to bring up with regard to the technological approach to solving problems. Mm-hmm. I, I always liked this story, and I think Roxanne Meadows, who is um, Jacques Fresco's associate at the Venus Project, told me this story once, and it's nice. So you have a family who are going along uh, on a stretch of road, and they go over the side of a cliff uh, in their car. And they, they, they go at the bottom. Now, another person comes along and he sees that, you know, they've gone over the edge and he climbs down there and he goes to their car and he he rescues them from the car just before it blows up and then an ambulance fly in, you know, air ambulance and they lift them off to hospital and the newspapers have loads of pages on this hero and the hero ambulance and the close... And they have all this hoo-ha in the paper the following day. Then, after this event, an, a group of engineers come by and they build a roadblock they build a, a, a blockade at the side of that cliff where that accident happened. Um, and they test it to make sure that if anything like that ever happens again, that they won't just die, you know, go go off the edge of the cliff. Now, a few weeks later, another family with more people in the car, I might add, mm-hmm. come along and they, you know, the same thing happens. But this time they hit the barrier and they don't go over the edge. Do you know what the paper printed the next day? Uh, I can only hazard a guess. Uh, Nothing. That's the thing. Once again, 
sensationalizing uh, like the bad things that happen but then not ever wanting to print something that actually positively enforces things that are going on in the world it's yeah there's definitely that and that's that's another uh, subject as well that, that people uh, focus uh, only, appearingly only on the negative but actually the point is slightly wider than that that the engineers who built that blockade they don't get a hero's worship in the papers no the, the people who eradicate that problem technically so that you don't even ever have to think about it again they don't get a mention you know, the people that make sure that, that you go up in an aeroplane, right, and you fly, and most of the, like, n- vast majority of the time, you will not crash. It's the safest way to travel, yeah? Um, do the people who did all the safety checks get a hero's mention in the paper the next day? No. Do the people that made those planes safe to travel and get a mention? No. Because it's it's like a problem you never had to face, so you just you don't, you just completely take it for granted. But the people who built that roadblock of the heroes, they saved more people in the next car that hit it. I mean, by the way, that was a figurative example. Yeah. Yes. It wasn't, it wasn't true. Um, it wasn't true. But it, it's a figurative example of many things, I'm sure, that you can appreciate with a technological approach. Yeah. The techno- like, for instance, I'll give you a good, for instance, car accidents. Have you heard of Google Car? Yes. Right. So you're familiar with the, these, these cars. They've done 300,000 miles on the American road system currently. They mm-hmm. are the list. They do not have, they, they do it via GPS and, and um, satellite uh, imaging and, and um, you know, and things like that. Basically, they don't crash into anything. 300,000 miles, no accident whilst being automated. That's mm-hmm. their record. And yet, a million people, or, or a whole million and a half people die on this planet from road accidents, not to mention all of the injuries, the wasted resources that go into the car, things. And so, for me, rather than being a organisation, involved in an organisation that wishes to pick off the leaves of a tree, so to speak, and address a symptom of the root cause, I would rather address the root cause technically. Because if I have a friend who dies in a car accident tomorrow, that will be because of a technical inefficiency when there was a solution that I've just spoke about and I've seen in, in action. There is a solution that can solve that problem were it not for the system that we use. So what should I do? Should I approach that one problem or should I say this problem as well as many, many other problems, including all, all sorts of things, are, could be solved if we use the technical approach? I feel that I'd rather talk about that and come on radio shows like this and hopefully discuss with your audience this particular approach that seems to be lost in our mainstream media, our schools, our parenting, our our society in general seems to overlook this particular method in its ability to solve social problems, but they quite happily use it to post pictures of cats on Facebook. Yeah. (laughs) You know, the science touches every area of our lives, you know, uh, from when you pick up your mobile phone to you use your, your laptop to the, the thermostat on your fridge to, to, you know, your fridge itself, to all of these different things, your car. The, the scientific method touches every area of your life, but we've never really used it in a way, in a, 
a ground up way to address our social system you know and that's really what what we're advocating at the zeitgeist movement so and one th- one hurdle that you obviously do face at the moment is with all of these technological advances uh, that do take place and all of these discoveries we have people that try to then patent these issues and then keep them from ever being released uh, for manufacture uh, is there any way around that um yeah, there's a few interesting ones. That's a very good question. Um, <clears throat> there's, I mean, first of all, you're right. It, it's it's an absolute blockade. A patent is a horrible thing in in, in many ways. Um, uh, for instance, we we currently have electric cars that can go uh, 200 mi- um, uh, 200 miles at 100 miles an hour or close to it on a single battery charge but uh, the bad patterns for that technology are owned by Texaco so that's not going to happen um, now the the thing is is um, uh, it, it's going to get harder over time as things become more integrated to lock down patent laws and um, on, online especially you're finding this with things like open source ecology, yeah. which is where you yeah. can download your own starter kit, basically, for a civilization, um, but at a, a fraction of the cost because it, it's it's just you printing it out yourself. But th- this is one of the, you know, this is one of the things we talk about. We're like, we're hamstrung here. This is why the values have to shift. You know, and if you look at all the greatest things you, you have, like... Well, some of the greatest scientific advances that we've had have come from people who said, oh, I don't want a patent on this. I want this to be available for everyone. The Internet came about by that. You know, by yeah. someone saying, oh, I just want it to be a gift, gift to humanity. You know, uh, they, they didn't want a patent. It. They wanted it to be available for everyone. And those are the gifts that essentially benefit the most. So uh, this idea that all of the benefits we have in our life came from this the, the capitalist system isn't isn't true. It, the, the capitalist system took advantage of those advances for their benefit, and may, and so it looks like what your what your benefits in your life came from the, the capitalist mode of operations. Now, one thing one thing that's important to make clear. I'm I'm, so, I'm sorry. I know I'm going on. <laughs> no. But um, one thing that's also important to make clear is that you don't live... This is another part of the word game that I mentioned earlier, like with economy and, and such. You don't live in a capitalist system. Not really. Um, capitalism says that if you fail in the economy, then tough. You fall on your own sword. Well, sorry, but in 2008, we bailed out those banks. Yeah. So by all formal logic, you don't live in capitalism. You live in an advanced form of feudalism of control by a very small, rich group of elite controlling governing interests um, who, through the, who through the issuance of money um, that they can create out of debt um, at interest that can never be paid back 
because it wasn't created in the initial loan, they have managed to seize control of the entire global financial apparatus. And these debt collapses you're seeing around the world are simply an outgrowth of that money creation system, which most people don't know about, and it's called fractional reserve banking. And um, I would suggest people go out there and check that out, because that system is what creates the effects of having 1% of the world controlling 40% of the world's wealth, 80% living on less than $10 a day, and 50% on less than two, and a sixth of the planet's population starving to death. That system is literally created by a combination of, well, it's the monetary system's pyramid structure of, of, of fractional reserve banking. And so, um, uh, so capitalism doesn't really, in its purest form, exist in the world we have today. It, it, it's supposed to be the free market competition. If it truly works that way, then it, it, then it would be fine. And, and, um, but it doesn't. And it can't because competition always leads to collusion. It always leads to two organizations saying, hey, why don't we get together? I think we can make some more money if we actually work together. And so you get corporations and then you get corporate control and then you get lobbyists and then lobbyists buy out the politicians. And, the, and then there's patent laws that kind of, you know, that people patent all sorts of things. So the whole thing's a great big riddled mess of a system that, it isn't based on, on physical reference, it isn't based on natural law, it isn't based on human need, it's based on um, on really, really archaic and outdated notions for, for a species that has the sort of technology that we have available to us now, as I mentioned earlier. So those that's another important distinction to make, basically. Yeah, no, and uh, I do highly recommend uh, people uh, l- uh, find out about... Um, uh, fra- uh, is it fractional reserve banking? Yes, that's correct. And, and yeah. the best place to, I would advise, get started with that. It also goes through um, a few other interesting things. And the and what we're talking about here, the resource-based economy, is a film called Zeitgeist Addendum. Um, it's, it's only a couple of hours. And if you like that one, then the one after that is Zeitgeist Moving Forward. And that's a proper... Um, expose on the full resource-based economic model, which is about two hours 40, which is quite a long stretch, I realise, but if you're going to understand a whole new system such as the one we advocate, then it does take a little bit of time. Um, but I would advise starting off with Zeitgeist Addendum is a good place to start. Uh, very much so. And, uh, to be honest, it's it was eye-opening when I first found out exactly how uh, how much money is created out of thin air. Ninety-seven percent. Ridiculous! Absolutely ridiculous. Three percent of your money supply is is legal tender, and in our country, that's that's created by the Bank of England. The ninety-seven percent just exists on a computer screen, is created by the banks through loans. When you go into to a bank and you, this is critical for your listeners to understand. You go into a bank and you put down twenty grand deposit for a loan for a mortgage, and the the bank give you one hundred and eighty supposedly um, to buy your house. That one hundred and eighty did not come from their vaults. It came from the fact that they said that they they had twenty on deposit, and through fractional reserve banking, they could create nine times that amount on your signature. So they didn't have that money. You signed it into existence when you said, I am going to be obliged to pay this money back. 
me who at Joe Blogs is signing here to say that I'll pay this this money into existence. And that's when the money got created. They never had it in the first place. It's a scam. The whole way money is created in your system is a scam. Um, uh, and basically, fr- from that, uh, they ch- here's the kicker. It's not enough for them to get 180 grand of your real money. Oh, no. They've got to create interest on top of the initial loan. So now you've got to pay back money that was never created in the first place. So even if all the money were to be paid back to the banks tomorrow, you'd still owe the interest. And that's ignoring... I, I tell you, banks, whilst I've, I've had their problems through my life, and uh, like the amount of just bank charges that come out of nowhere... That yeah. They justify for one click of a button. Well, a very important um, thing, if you or any of your listeners are in debt, um, or especially on credit cards, but it can really be done through anything, um, is some, and this is nothing to do with the zeitgeist movement, by the way. I just need to sort of mm-hmm. uh, clarify that. This is another area, a uh, topic area that I'm interested in, called the legal fiction or straw man. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of either of these things? No, I haven't. Okay, when a, when in in contract law, right, uh, it states that you you can't sign a contract unless you're in sound state of mind and it can't be signed on your behalf. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now think about your birth certificate. Yeah, that was a contract signed between your parents and the government. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You were a baby, so you were not of sound mind. You, you didn't know that that contract was being signed, and it was signed on your behalf. So that document is not you. It's your straw man. It's what's called a straw man. Like yes. a straw man standing in a field is, is not, you know, a man. It's mm-hmm. straw. So that document is your straw man. It's not you, the human being. Um, now, when you say, yes, Your Honor, that's me, or you... Um, you agree to represent that person on that piece of paper, then you make, then you join your human being, the human being you are, to the straw man, and you say, yeah, that's me. Because you're tricked into thinking that's you. Yeah, that is something that was determined by other people. And so, here's the interesting thing. I mean, by all means, as I, I always reiterate, please don't believe a word I say, Okay. If you go online and you check out, um, uh, start off with a video on YouTube called Meet Your Straw Man. Um, and then from there, if you have got credit card debts, go to a site called getoutofdebtfree.org. Now, here's how it works. The money creation system, as I went through earlier, is a fraud. Okay? Mm-hmm. So when a bank sends you a credit card statement, for example, it's a statement, not an invoice. Now, if you and I contracted and we did business <coughs> and I said, I want your phone, I'll give you, I don't know, uh, my, uh, my, this great book, <laughs> a phone for a book, I don't know, whatever, I'm, I'm just coming up with this stuff. We both have consideration in the contract. If you yeah. put anything up in the contract, you can't create something out of nothing, out of thin air. Mm-hmm. And say, I'm putting that thin air up. That's not, no, we can't contract on that. So the bank 
because they never had the money in the first place to give you for your credit card, can only send you a statement. They can't send you an invoice. Now, if you send them a letter stating, um, if you send me an invoice, I'll happily pay the bill in full. I'll give you 14 days to send it, and if you don't send it by then, I'll consider the contract to be null and void under contract law. Yeah? Yeah. They can't send you an invoice, and they'll write it off. That is genius. After sending you, this is, they will send you scary letters. Yes. They will say, you're going to get a terrible credit rating. And you'll just say, well, I won't accept the credit rating either, because that's not, that's not me. I'll fight that one too, because it, that, that's, because the whole thing was based out fraud to begin with. So you can fight that on the same basis. Because it's not real. The, the, the law is common law, which is harm, injury, or loss. You're not allowed to cause harm, injury, or loss to someone, someone else. Everything else is a fabrication. Created on the basis of the straw man fallacy. So, so it, it basically, I've, I, I have, I've done, I've used this to protect myself against um, a, uh, police officers who've tried to stop me um, handing out leaflets in a public place. Mm-hmm. It to be against the law. I did this on Watford, Watford High Street a, a, a few months ago. Um, so this straw man stuff, and, and of course they they couldn't shut me down. Um, and my friend has got out of 30 grand's worth of credit card debt this way. That is... That, that is absolutely enlightening to me. It really is. Well, the, the, the thing is, is, is if you've seen The Matrix, right? Yeah. The Matrix is not some pretty film about, like, some robots taking over. And, I, oh, by the way, I, you know, look, I, I know I sound like... The thing is, is, is Morpheus, remember how crazy Morpheus sounds in that film? Yeah. yeah if, if you are Neo, that guy is batshit crazy. Part of, part of my language, right? That yeah. he's, he's, he's crazy. So the, um, and it sounds madness. It sounds madness what I'm talking about. Yeah, that, 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 that because, because you're so conditioned to think that there is this authoritative thing called government that has more rights than you do. That um, when it, when if you actually think about it, how could a group of people get together and say they have more rights than you? It it doesn't make sense. And and um, you know the the world is a very the, the matrix is a direct correlation to the system that we live in. And really, what what we're talking about here is taking a, a backward step and saying, well, what gives you the right, you know, to say that that's the law? Mm-hmm. Surely harm, injury or loss is what makes sense, yeah? Yes, exactly. I, uh, I can't come around your house right now, bust in your front door and take your laptop and, and run away. It, no. Just common sense. You you learn that stuff when you're, when you're two. You... you you don't need to be told it. It's 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 obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's really what the law is based on. Um, it was uh, instituted, like for instance, there's a whole language behind it called legalese. 
Um, so when a policeman says to you, do you do you understand? What do you think he's saying to you? He's getting you to uh, basically confirm that, <laughs> well, <laughs> not just that you understand what he's saying, but that then he's he's trying to trip you up. Well, yeah, he is trying to trip you up, but look at the wording. Yeah. Understand. Stand under. Mm-hmm. Do you stand under my authority? The minute you say yes, you've been tricked. Not by the policeman. But policemen mm-hmm. don't, most policemen I speak to don't have a clue about this stuff. But, of course, it doesn't make any difference because if you know what you're talking about, you'll say, am I obliged to understand? And, yeah. of course, you're not obliged to do anything. So I'm not obliged to both stand under his authority or comprehend what he's talking about. So if you know how to speak in this language, then you can avoid falling um, into these linguistic traps and essentially incriminating yourself. That's why they say you have the right to remain silent. Mm-hmm. As long as you don't say anything, you're not going to incriminate yourself. Yeah. So that's why it has to be in, 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 uh, in your rights, rights of the rest. Um, it, it, there's loads more interesting stuff, but, but you can go on YouTube, right, and you can see bailiffs coming up to people's houses and saying, we have an eviction notice to evict you from your home. And people using, you know, the law um, come come out, they, they say, I, we need the police to come here and adjudicate this disagreement, this disagreement yeah? Yeah. And the police come, and you basically see people saying, "Here is a, here is my letter that I sent to them, saying I would happily pay an invoice." Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the police say, "Did you get this letter?" And they say, "Well, yes, we did." They say, "Right, well, then he's agreed to pay something, so leave him alone." And the bailiff leaves. This is, there's a great video on YouTube, I can't remember what it's called, but it's of this guy basically half an hour defending against two really aggressive bailiffs. I mean, they're really aggressive. And he gets the, he gets like two police cars down worth of policemen who don't know the law, you know, don't know this sort of stuff. But he gets rid of all of them. That is absolutely fantastic. Films the whole thing. So, uh, I mean, look, Check it out. But like I said, that's not related to the Zeitgeist movement um, at all, any of that information. But I like to get that information out there to people as well because I want to try and help people. Um, the, the, the important thing, uh, uh, the Zeitgeist movement's position on all of that stuff would be that really all of that is an outgrowth of an in- inefficient system as well. Yes. Like laws, laws are really an, an admittance that you don't know how to solve that problem, or that you're too busy making money out of it to bother. Mm-hmm. So think of the road traffic laws, like sticking up speed cameras when we've got Google cars. Why the hell would you need speed cameras when you can just stick a black box in in the car that basically receives a GPS tracking of where your vehicle is and won't let you speed? Exactly. And that's the thing. There is no need for car accidents when we've got technology that can sense distances between objects that could easily uh, slow down your car before your brain even comprehends it. Yeah, I mean, why would you have a fallible human being 
in charge of a two-ton vehicle that shares the same road space as a child. Yeah. And then you call yourself humane? What, because you, what, because you take some carrots around to the old lady who lives next door occasionally? So... Uh, don't get me wrong, by the way. If you do... If you do... Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't want to... The Zeitgeist Movement doesn't advocate helping old people. That's <laughs> 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 It's not it. It's not it at all. But you follow what I mean. It's just so frustrating when families have to go through the suffering involved like that. When if we just change our orientation of problem solving um, and the orientation of of ourselves, our social system, then we can actually eradicate the the need for for, for control over each other. And that's essentially a very, very important thing to note, note, that whilst you and I have had a very good conversation about the problems and potential solutions to some of these, mm-hmm. very, very important that if you don't eradicate the need for that system, then that system will continue. Yeah. So if you don't build a system that doesn't need money, and they actually where you have access to shared resources. Um, if you don't build a system that like that, then you'll keep the system you have. So um, Buckminster Fuller put it best when he said, um, uh, "Yeah, basically, if you, you never change an existing system by fighting the existing reality, build." a system technically that makes the previous system obsolete. Um, That's essentially what the Zeitgeist Movement advocate. We advocate a technological approach to render the system we currently use that produces contrived scarcity, war, debt, poverty and servitude obsolete. So what what are the first steps that people can do to try and uh, help make this system obsolete? Um, well, first of all, um, limit your... If you have the means of... First of all, get out of debt. Mm-hmm. Absolutely get out of debt, right? That's the first thing. Um, uh, bank with someone who... Bank with a, uh, a bank, preferably, that is not involved in war. Um, or uh, you might have a green ethic to it what have you are there any particular banks uh, that you suggest I've heard the cooperative are quite good but to be honest it hasn't been on my radar because I've been so busy getting myself out of debt which I'm I'm out of now but I've still got a loan I'm about to use that system that my friend used to challenge um, in the next few weeks so as soon as I'm out of that I'm, I'm going to be looking, but I, I believe the cooperative is apparently quite good. I, I don't know. I mean, they'll still use fractional reserve banking, but I don't think you're not getting out of that one. Um, the uh, then there's there's other means as well, like Bitcoin, which is an online um, digital monetary system which doesn't have any interest, doesn't have any debt, isn't tied to the sort of slave currency inflation-inducing system that we have now. Um, and remember, inflation is really a uh, hidden tax on the poor because it will hit them harder than anybody else. But then we won't go in, won't go down that tangent. Um, 
There's online um, trading schemes, um, bartering, uh, time banks. Time banks are a good thing that, that take some of the power of the monetary system away. As well as, of course, getting yourself off the grid, limiting, limit your needless buying of materialistic crap to make impressions on people that more than likely that you don't know, more than likely don't care about and won't last. Stop doing that. <laughs> it's not. It's proven to not bring you happiness. Um, you, you, you reach a certain level of material affluence, and once you've re- reached that level, buying more materialistic things shows no correlation towards making you happier. It will not make you happier. The research is in. Don't do it. <laughs> Would be my advice. Um, and like I say, limit your limit. Peacefully um, limit your reliance on this system and peacefully reject it. This is a very important no- notion of uh, Zeitgeist Movement as well. We are a non-violent organisation. This world mm-hmm. we seek of less violence and more peace cannot come about by perpetrating and instigating violence. Um, we, 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 um, we subscribe to the Mahatma Gandhi and Martin Luther King school of thought of um, non-violent protest, non-violent non-participation. Because that's the thing. As soon as you uh, get in masses and have any form of uh, situation where riots can occur, instantly you are perceived as the bad guys and outside of society. Where and of course- it gives those with truncheons a really good excuse to smash you over the head with one. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And the the whole the whole thing is you aren't going to win people over without educating people, rather than creating a situation where you become the outcast. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, uh, it's it's a train of thought. That's uh, we always come back to that in the movement. That people go, well, how are we going to get from here to there? That's always the big question. How are we going to get from here to there? The, the question is, I don't know. I really don't because there's so many variables. That all, how am I supposed to? I'm not a prophet of the future. You see, politicians love to say, here's our manifesto, and this is how the future is going to be. Well, okay. What about if there's a tsunami in your country um, and it completely obliterates the whole of your economy? How's your manifesto looking there? Oh, well, we'll have to change it. Well, it wasn't much of a freaking manifesto then, was it? Yeah. <laughs> so that's why <laughs> that's why um, the Zeitgeist movement's not political. It's very important to point out as well. We're not a political movement. Um, we may criticise the political establishment, but we criticise the whole method by which we arrive at decisions in our world. Um, politics is just another one of them. It's based on egotistical opinion, debating, and you usually who is going to take the biggest bribe to a particular corporate or company interest. Um, that's not a, a, a valid form of decision-making method. And of course, all different political ideologies are self um, self-protecting. So, you know, even if I could prove that democracy is not a very good way of running society, 
if I could prove it somehow for you. Um, if you're Barack Obama or David Cameron, you're not about to admit that. Even if I could unequivocally prove it to you to be true, you'd still just say democracy is the best system you come up with because you have to, because politicians are not elected to political office to change things. They're put there to keep things the way they are. So the, the, the point is, is that the Zeitgeist movement advocates the scientific, the, the humane application of the scientific method to the social system directly. So the reason that for that is that the best decision making method we have for predicting future events and for updating our understanding of natural law is the scientific method. Provably through time, this method has been shown time and time and time again to where we thought there might be ghosts or ghoulies hiding around the corner or whatever it might be some metaphysical belief um, some uh, notion that our sun god is punishing us so maybe we should skin some virgins alive and roll them down some steps <laughs> every time we get some crazy idea like this in our head science comes along and says whoa 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 whoa, whoa chill out that's just an eclipse <laughs> you know stop yeah. doing that <laughs> um, and, and so it's essentially what makes us sane it brings us into the physical reality that we all have to share and it is actually something that we can all agree upon because look you might disagree with which church you choose to follow but you want to build that church and the method you use is science exactly and I, I think a good way to round off would be uh, with uh, uh, Peter Joseph's quote of uh, well, I'm, I might ask it's not Peter jo I'm sure it's not Peter Joseph's quote it's not healthy to be so accustomed to a society that's inherently sick yeah it's um, I think I'm not sure who's the originator of the quote I think it might be Possibly Krishmanerti, uh, a philosopher called... Um, I can't remember his first name. It's terrible. I, I really need to check this guy's stuff out as well, because everything he says so, so far that he's quoted is really good. I think it's Krishmanerti. said, It's no measure of one's health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. And that statement cannot be truer whatsoever. Yeah. It, it, as I always say, I come across as a bit weird and wacky to my daughter's friends very often. They go, you're weird, or, you know, something like that. <laughs> and I, I say, well, girls, is the world mad? <laughs> Does it seem a little mad to you sometimes? You know, like the war thing, seem a little mad. And they're like, well, yeah, I suppose it is a bit mad. And I'm like, and you're used to it. Yeah. <laughs> Which <laughs> one of us is mad? Yeah. I, I'm Actually, the more balmy you are, the more sane you are. Listen, there's no measure of your sanity to be in the nut house saying everything's fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's not good news. <laughs> That's bad. <laughs> yeah? Exactly. That's the bit where you start like getting out crayons between your toes and drawing on the walls. <laughs> uh, so, uh, if people <laughs> want to find out more about uh, the Zeitgeist movement, there's a number of places that you can do it. Search on Google, you'll find a number of websites. Uh, Thezeitgeistmovement.com, uh, uh, tzmeducation.org, 
Um, also on YouTube, if you look for uh, TZM official channel, uh, there's a number of uh, uh, decent videos on there. And also, I'd like to point all of the Zeitgeist movement uh, movies are available in a number of places uh, for absolutely free, uh, whether it be on YouTube or Netflix or uh, the uh, uh, movie site as well. So uh, there is no reason to uh, not go and uh, watch the films. James, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Thank you so much for, for having me on, Wayne. I, I hope I didn't ramble um, uh, too much throughout that and, and gave your listeners something to think about. Just one thing um, I would like to uh, to just, just leave your listeners with is um, I know undoubtedly some of what I said today and what we discussed today can be projected into from your prior associations, from your prior beliefs or whatever they might be. Um, but remember that we've been proved wrong time and time again. I'll happily be proved wrong. Um, uh, you know, I, I like being proved wrong. It means that I can make a step forward in understanding and learning. Um, uh, so but by all means, don't accept anything I've said today as being true. Please do check it out if any of it interested you. And if you thought some of what I was saying was utter rubbish, check that check that out just to be absolutely sure that your belief stands up to the to the benchmark of the reality that you actually exist in. Um, if you value the idea that you you know that you could you could be wrong, um, just like I value the idea that I could be wrong. So I I would leave you with that, and also um, uh, the idea that if if you value integrity as a general mode of operation, then it won't matter how far the distance is to get from here to there. The Just because to get from A to B is difficult doesn't resolve the need to do so. So we need a planet that has a sustainable economic operational system that's in, on this planet, on this planet that we share. I would argue that we do. Um, and if the argument is that we do, then we have to um, approach this in the most rational, reasonable, and responsible way way possible, and then we may actually have something that we could call a civilization. Too true, too true. And to be honest, there are so many more things that uh, we could have discussed, but fitting it all into one slot uh, is impossible. Yes. Yes, that it is. Well, well I, I mean, um, I'll, I'll happily come back on another time if your listeners have found this interesting. Um, <laughs> Even if they haven't, I have. <laughs> and I make the decisions. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dictatorship of one. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, uh, but, so I'm definitely going to get you back in the future, James. So for now, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me on, Wayne. It would be a pleasure to come back. Thank you so much to you and to all your listeners. Yes, and it's that time again when Matt is going to tickle our earbuds with some musical goodness. So, uh, welcome back, Matt Warwick. Oh, thank you very much, mate. Yeah, tickling earbuds. I'm like the, the Ken Dodd of the Star Trek musical world. That's me. <laughs> 
I like to think uh, so. None of the Americans will know who Ken Dodd are. Uh, Ken Dodd is, but uh, never mind. I, I'm sure I, they can look him up on the internet. Though personally, I've always thought of you as my uh, own Dame Edna. <laughs> Thanks very much for that. <laughs> uh, so, so what have you got for us this week, Matt? Uh, well, we've got a bit of uh, insurrection this week. Now, I know um, insurrection, you, you quite like insurrection, don't you, mate? I love insurrection. I think it's really underrated as as a film. It, I think a lot of people it, coming off of the back of First Contact, I can see why it, a lot of people may have been disappointed. But I thought it was a great story. Did you like it, Jill? Um, it's probably the least watched movie that I of the Star Trek ones that I watch. Even um, out of Nemesis. Well, it's 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 really those two are the least ones to watch. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, please I mean, don't tell me. Please okay. don't tell me you've watched Star Trek Five more than these two. Well, I think it's only by default because they've just been around a lot longer. <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of. Um, I, I mean, to be honest, I did actually watch Insurrection about four or five months ago. Uh, just because I had to remind myself what happened, because someone was talking to me about it, um, you know, j- before the event, and I just had a complete memory blank about what actually happened in it. So, you know, yeah, it was it was, it was probably better viewed then. Um, when I first watched it, I think I did have that disappointment of the first contact syndrome. Um, so when I watched it, kind of a bit more colder, it wasn't as bad as I remembered. <laughs> but um, yeah, I I enjoyed it. That's the thing. The only point that I ever try and just ignore is the manual steering column. (laughs) Yeah. So it it, it just goes into a weird line between Star Trek meets Tron. Yeah, there there is an element of that, definitely. uh, So what part have you uh, brought us this week, Matt? Well, uh, we've got... um, It's a two-part... track it's called underwater search and the hollow ship so you should be able to figure out what part of the the um the movie that's from um generally i think in this movie there's there's quite a wider range of styles than in most of jerry goldsmith's previous star trek um films obviously he's by jerry goldsmith so i I don't need to make my feelings on on him clear i think everyone listening to this should know that uh, i love the music that he writes um, but yeah he does use a lot reuse a lot of his things like um, the little Klingon theme when Worf comes uh, on screen again and uh, obviously the main title theme but uh, but yeah this is a bit of a clip it's got a bit more emotion in it um, so it's a good uh, you know indication of the type of music we've got in this film so are you guys ready to have a listen? As yep. I'll ever be Let's go for it <laughs> Let's go for it
It's a fantastic piece. And it's, even though it's been so long, I was, it, like, I can still envision the entire scene. And I was, I didn't realise quite, <laughs> I was expecting it to kick into the fight scene a lot sooner. Yeah, it does, it does flow very well with the, the, the on-screen action. And there's a lot of actually, I didn't realise, I've just heard it, I've not listened to that piece properly for a while. And there's a lot of synthesised stuff near the beginning as well. I mean, generally I think the whole tone of the music in the movie is a lot darker than, than a lot of the previous ones as well. With the exception of probably The Undiscovered Country, which is obviously quite a dark, um, score as well. But this one's, uh, yeah, it's very appropriate to the film. Yeah. It is, because that's, even though cinematically it was quite a light film, the, the actual story was really dark. Yeah, I mean, the theme about, you know, displacing the Baku from their homeworld and things like that, that you know. And, uh... I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's what happened. You, you say something. You say something. I completely forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> okay, no worries. Um, okay, if you've lost your train, uh, Jill. Hello. Any thoughts? <laughs> uh, it, it definitely brought back the old uh, memories of uh, the film, which was nice because I, it's it's. I mean, I'm a fan of soundtracks as it is, so it's all. I always do like hearing the music away from the images, so that you can actually truly appreciate it. And um, this, you know, I I have never really listened to uh, the Insurrection soundtrack without the film, obviously, because I've only seen the film a couple of times, probably. Um, and yeah, you just really sort of realise that that is a stunning piece of music. And uh, I know you've got a big hard on for Jerry Goldsmith, Matt, but he, he never disappoints. <laughs> no, he doesn't. I mean, he can he can you know pull it out when he needs to. <laughs> Actually, that sounds really wrong, then, from what you just said. I just realised <laughs> it's, it sounds so wrong, but so right. <laughs> so wrong and right. Oh, but it, Jill, if you're Hello. if you're a big if you're a big fan of. Um, uh, soundtracks and stuff. You should definitely check out uh, Matt's YouTube channel. Uh, tell Jill a little bit about it, Matt. Uh, they're not on YouTube actually anymore. Um, I oh, did have. Uh, well, they're on. Down. They're on. They're, well, I got a cease and desist order from uh, CBS over one of yeah, the Star Trek ones. Um, but so they're all on my blog now. So www.qb.com. Go to the gallery. Uh, and uh, there's a soundtrack video section in there and basically what I've done is I've taken a lot of the soundtrack albums I've got cut a clip out from the movie and overlaid just the soundtrack onto it so you, you can watch the action but there's no dialogue you've just got the the yeah. soundtrack played so it's quite interesting so you can see more clearly how they, they match up together you know so mm. it's not just Star Trek ones on there there's lots of uh, different ones sci-fi and not sci-fi so. I know I was so excited when uh, you told me that you had a um uh, the uh, Father Christmas movie, Santa Claus oh, the Santa movie. Santa Claus the movie, yeah. Yeah, the the elf workshop scene, brilliant. <laughs> uh, so, have you got a uh, quiz for us this week, Matt? I have indeed. Uh, I don't know if Jill's familiar with the ins and outs of the quiz section. Uh, I have briefed her, but for any <laughs> listeners that are just joining us, 
So what this is, is uh, this is a piece of music from early TNG, so one of the first four seasons, and it's just a simple case of listening to the clip and seeing if you can name the episodes. So, are you both prepared? Oh, lordy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll take that as a yes. A no. <laughs> Okay, so <sighs> that sounded very much like not Star Trek for a bit. Until <laughs> it went into that, that bit, the start, it could have been Cagney and Lacey or something. It was uh, very. Uh, I would go that it was an an early season, like season one or possibly two. Where am I completely out? I'm getting, I, I'm getting I'm more 80. of a season t- two feel. Mm, I think it's that that first bit just screamed eighties at me. <laughs> um, mm. But I could, to narrow that down, lordy, um, I'd have to pay more attention. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but if you want to go away and watch all of the seasons one, two, and three, yeah, or four yeah, episodes, and then come back and give me an answer, yeah, yeah, that'd if be you fine give me you that, want. that'd be great because <laughs> I have actually just got the box set behind me. Um, well, it's definitely an episode where they say Captain. Wow, that narrows it oh, down okay. a bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, that's the thing. It's it's got more of a darker feel, like some something similar along the lines of conspiracy. That's the sort of feel that <laughs> yeah, I. Ooh. <laughs> that, uh, that I'm. That's the sort of feel that I'm getting. It's not like you. For me, it sounds more darker than. There, there was definitely an element of, uh, you know, like where they're approaching something, and they don't know what it is. But that could have been any episode. Oh, you Because they were explorers. <laughs> That's the thing. It's definitely the episode <laughs> where they find something. Yeah, 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 and it's it's undiscovered. They, they, they were probably in space. I think there was. A, I think they might have been in a spaceship as well. Um, <laughs> um, well, we're now. I think we're doing well on narrowing it down. That's it. We've got it down to about yeah. like a hundred episodes. Um, if I could. Even recall episode titles that would have helped me a lot. Um, but blah, 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 yeah, is it season two? <laughs> I'll, um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the season. It probably won't help you. Oh, it will. It's season four. <laughs> oh, oh Christ! <laughs> so we were into the nineties when that music happened. Uh, ninety-one, I think. That, that is shocking. 
it really sounded 80s to me. It was like I was watching one of those 80s cop shows. <laughs> um, wow, 91. Okay, I'm getting, I'm getting a feeling. It, that's the thing. I still think it's something that's slightly off kilter from your bog standard episode. I, for some reason, I'm thinking that it is a unique episode. I'm gonna I can give you that. You're gonna take a stab. I'm gonna take a punt at Devil's Due. Okay, with uh, Ardra. Yeah. Do you want to make a guess as well, Jill? I, I, or do you want to go with that? I'm rapidly looking at episode titles <laughs> for season four. <laughs> yeah. And I'm gonna, I'm, I'm going to say that I reckon it's mm-hmm. um, ooh, ooh, um, a night terrors. Oh, that's a, that's yeah, that's a very uh, dark and. Uh, yeah, episode that is. Yeah, it's a good episode, yeah. I quite like it. Um, you're That's both it. wrong, I'll tell you oh, that. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, um, I'll, I'll give you a bit more of a hint. This is directed at Wayne now, because he would have been... Obviously, we talked Sorry, about this. Sorry, two seconds, Do you remember? Two oh, seconds. All right. Oh, he's got he problems himself? again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he, he, he may do. Excellent. Uh, next generation DVD box set away now. <laughs> Sorry, we'll carry on in two seconds. I should have, I should have, I, I missed the trick there. I should have just uh, given you the answer while Wayne was away. Yeah, yeah, I could have sounded really cool then. Well, that's, you, you're going to have a chance again in a minute because no, Amy just started waking up freaking out, so she just well, had to oh, give okay. her a bottle. Oh, <laughs> so, she, so she's having a drink and then she'll be fine. But you you have to answer, you have to take the bottle back off of her and give her back her dummy, otherwise she's not happy. <laughs> oh dear. So yeah, no, I, no, I should at some point just absolutely edit these sections to death to make it sound like I get the answer first time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll be like, and the answer is, <laughs> <laughs> yay! That was it. It's like um, I've I never someone says anything like that. I always remember. I don't know how much of a Sim- Simpsons fan as you are, but the episode where they're all at Camp Krusty and there's the video clip, and he's like, "I'm going to introduce you to my good friend, Mr. Black." Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember when I done that with um, when Paul interviewed? The guy behind yes. one of uh, <laughs> that was brilliant. Yeah, the, I can't remember his name now. Uh, uh, like the, one of the guys who's like done like f- like fan films online. He's behind one of the the, the bigger ones. And Paul had interviewed him. I'd uh, done the whole podcast, but couldn't remember what his fucking name was. <laughs> so in the end, you just hear in post production, it's like Bill Johnson. <laughs> Excellent, I love it. Oh, I do. But oh, two seconds. Nope. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's dummy time. Oh, what time is it? Oh, nearly ten to twelve. Yeah, I, I'm going on holiday tomorrow, so I'm surrounded by bags. <laughs> oh, where are you going? 
Uh, just doing a road trip to Cornwall and South Wales. Doing okay. a Merlin and Sherlock thing. Yes. Okay. Are we ready? Uh, yes. Are we going again? Okay, yeah, you sure. can carry on from your beginning of your last okay. sentence. Uh, I'm going to give you a bit of a, a little hint now then, Wayne. Um, something we discussed probably two or three music segments ago, where I, uh, Sam uh, from the Trekkie Girls was on. And okay. um, we were talking about a recurring theme for a certain species, and I said I'd be bringing it up again. Can you remember what that was? Yes, I can, and I'm not going to tell Jill. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, th- that uh, theme was Romulans. Yeah, so knowing that, does that make you change your answer? Okay, so it's a Romulan episode. Okay, well, in that case, I'm just trying to think what, um, I'm just trying to think if the episode, what's the name of the episode where the, um, Enterprise is stuck in, like, uh, where, like, the Romulan ships, uh, like, uh, artificial black hole causes everything to slow down. That might not even be this this season. Uh, you, are you thinking Timescape or not? Yeah. Yeah, that's season six, that is. Oh, okay. Of course that's season six, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Wayne. Yeah, Wayne, what are you doing? <laughs> you call yourself a Trekkie, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I call myself a, a, a many things. Doesn't mean I have to prove it. <laughs> oh, dear. Because we all know that's why uh, I ended up putting the uh, Trek off back on the shelf because it turned into the How Thick Is Wayne game. <laughs> okay, I, I'm going to hazard a second guess then at yep. the mind's eye uh, oh yeah okay that's a good episode that's the with Geordie and the um, when they um, reprogram him to be a, a murderer that's the, that's that one isn't it it is though there is another Romulan episode that Jill will probably hazard a guess at yeah I'm desperately trying to remember which ones are Romulan episodes I'm okay I'm good um <laughs> Um, oh god, I need to watch season four a bit more. Ding. Nah, I'm, I can't remember which one of these is. Mind's Eye was the one I was gonna say, but you've taken my answer now. <laughs> okay, I'll go for the drum head. <laughs> okay, so, uh, uh, Wayne's gone, <laughs> drum head. Jill's going, mine's eye, yeah? Eye. Yeah. Okay, those are your final answers. I'll play the clip, and then we'll see who's right. Captain, I am detecting a ship in the neutral zone. Configuration? Romulan Warbird. Yellow alert. Hail the Warbird, Mr. Wolf. Aye, sir. They are responding. Text only. We are to proceed to the agreed coordinates. Set course, 037, mark 005, warp 4. Take us into the neutral zone, Ensign. Captain, 
The warbird is holding position. In three minutes, we will be within phaser range. Red alert. I trust my crew, Ambassador. They will take no provocative action unless I order them. You were both wrong. It was Data's day. <laughs> Data's day. <laughs> oh. Okay. Where they rendezvousing with the Romulan ship. Mm. That's the thing. We tried to cover every base, but failed miserably. It just rubbish. <laughs> but it was a valiant effort. A valiant effort, and you had us over a barrel once again, Matt. I am now going to watch every episode of TNG before I do this again. (laughs) (laughs) Good idea. (laughs) Oh, Data's day. That wouldn't have even been in my guesswork. That's weird, that. No, I think you, you had us. You had us, Matt. So, uh, once again, uh, thank you so much for joining us, Matt. It's my pleasure. And if people want to find you? Uh, you'll find me on the Trekmate site, in the forums, uh, on Twitter, at QB, and on QB.com. Excellent. And Jill, if p- anyone wants to get in contact with you? Uh, topgeek.com. Topgeek.com. <laughs> yep. And it's geek is... Obviously, G33K. Obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Only because the other Top Geek had been taken, so we had to compromise. Um, But yeah, we're kind of going on this um, road trip that's going to be reported every day on Top Geek. Um, But obviously, we can't go to Star Trek locations, so we've had to make do with other TV shows. But, um, you know, I'll, I'll try and get some Trek in there. That could be my mission each day, to get something Trek into our reports just try and get a six degrees of trek about (laughs) every location you're at i'm sure i'm sure i could i i I will i will try my best that that can be my secret mission that my colleague will not know anything about unless she listens to this (laughs) but yeah it's uh it's uh it'll be it'll be a tough one because we're not even going to america so yeah i'll see what i can do brilliant so thank you once again for uh, listening, and that's Track Me. into a bloated suitcase last glimpse of comfort and the ticking clock face i swear those hands move faster every day i'm more confused than ever but i don't beg or pray cause the sparkling light from the morning sun is all we should need to feel one Reach 
the station with just minutes to spare Glance at my watch, time's going faster these days I swear Eyes focus up now to the train timetable board There's only two platforms to be explored And it's then that I admit it to myself That I am lost, so lost But you're the constellations that guide me There's a train at 12, destination disaster It's running on time as time runs faster On platform 2, it's destination sustainability It's delayed though, it was supposed to arrive at 11.50 Platform 1, it says stand behind the yellow line But I sit on the platform edge and just gaze at the time wanders back to our oblivious existence I'm all choked up now with the threat of distance as the train bound for disaster chokes up to the station I don't board it because I decide that it's the wrong destination but the train bound for sustainability is nowhere to be seen and I'm lost so lost where are the constellations that guide me and then I we need to use our own two feet to walk these tracks And we have to squat up and we have to watch each other's backs With forgiveness as our torch and imagination our sword While well, I'm tired of of hate and such open the minds of the board And we'll start a world so equal and free Every inch of this earth is yours, all the land and all the sea Imagine no restrictions but the climate and the weather Then we can explore space
worry. We will get to the bottom of this. All I ask is a tall ship and a star steer by. I don't want excuses, I want answers. Am I authorized to enter the neutral zone? How do you think that tells me about your character?